Here comes the Sweet Pickles bus. Smart moms know how kids' minds grow upon Sweet Pickles. Your child's head start for school starts with his free Sweet Pickles preschool bus. There are stickers, games, puzzles, and hours of fun inside. They'll make learning basic skills like numbers and letters seem like child's play to your two to six-year-old. So they'll love to learn. Honest. I think it's excellent. Sweet Pickles is great. Call this number today and we'll send you this Sweet Pickles bus filled with dozens of learning activities free. We'll also send your first activity pack on approval for only $3.49 plus delivery. If you like it, you'll get two new packs about every four weeks at the same low price. There's never any obligation to buy. Call now and we'll send the Sweet Pickles bus to your door. Smart moms know how kids minds grow. Thanks, Mom! Sweet Pickles! Call now. Vincent Price used to be near the end of his life. He can roll anything. You know, darkness falls across the land. <laughs> the thriller. I can never. That Vincent Price. He could roll he anything. Can roll anything. <laughs> He's rolling Z's, Z's, as they say. He can roll everything. Heaven's the Mercatroid. I'm like, how do you even get a roll out of like thriller? Th- 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 I can't. But I'm never a good roller. I took Italian in high school, and I could never roll my R's. Roll. Roll. It sounds like a bad Russian accent. Well. <laughs> Where are your Russian vessels? Roll, roll. But anyway, we're um, we're back. We are back. We're back in action. We're back. We're back in a brand new bag. We're back again. We have to get like a uh, '90s style rap about the show. Yeah, you mentioned that to before. <laughs> my, I, I think we've talked about. We mentioned. You, we no, talked you about my fascination with that. But '90s, late '80s, early '90s. Uh, pre gangster rap raps that were about yeah, yeah. probably movies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles we talked about yeah right? and MC Hammer came up for the Adams Family Values and then we brought up there's a, there's a couple movies we Monster had. Squad has a song Monster Squad has Monster a Monster Squad yeah but then when you get to like the late 80s 89, 90, 91, 92, 93 you get like you know uh, you know, uh, they do what they want to do, say what they want to <laughs> say, live out of the family. You get a lot yeah. of that. We need like ice cu- ice tea because oh, he did Secret of the Use, right? For, no, for ice cute uh, vanilla ice, vanilla ice. Yeah, yeah, but there was one in for the first one. Yes, there is, which is great. Yeah. Ninja power, ninja, ninja, ninja. We have that at the end of the uh, T U R T L power, and that's really good. If you listen to that song, I think we talked about it, like it tells the a lot of times they don't tell a story, but that thing tells like it's one of those like the turtles in a half shell. So I'm splinter. I'm throwing out the. You want you want people anybody out there <laughs> anybody out there that wants to do it okay, freestyle and and can produce a half decent sounding yeah uh, doesn't have to be great but I, I I would like to see make it harder for you make it be like G so it's gonna be at the end of like a, you know PG so it's like at the end of one of those movies <laughs> you know, it's got to be like kid friendly you know not not saying I don't mind swearing <laughs> yeah, yeah I love myself some swearing no and, no it N-word, should be but it I, should I be agree. circa era. Late '90s, where it's at the end of like you know Adam's Family Values, the contest, yeah, or um, (laughs) send us send us your raps. We'll pick one, (laughs) and then we'll end the show. Like we're gonna get so many. That's like the end of um, 
What's the movie that takes place in Jersey? Uh, Nothing but trouble, because they had Digital Underground in there with with Tupac and yeah, Big Daddy. Yeah. Uh, oh, what's his face? Not Big Daddy Kane. What's his face? The guy with the the hum- my name is Humpty Humpty Dump Humpty. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think I don't remember at the end if they did a song, if if um, that song. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I, I, there's a whole slew of them. I think like Waxworks or Waxworks Two ends with one. Uh, it's a thing. Yes. Yeah, so, oh, that's it. All around the world, same song. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know. It's yeah, that was like the era where I mean, I guess that's the kind of same thing where in the sixties you had like the greats of the era like a Rick Nelson singing like he's coming, his name is Liberty, you know, like you know, they have to the ballad of, you know they have like, you know, the the Western. Like that's like in the weird there's movies in the seventies that I absolutely love in the early seventies that you know, even if it's a period movie, they have a terrible folk song at the yeah, beginning, yeah. which is like a sixties like very flower power folk song, acoustic based, but it's completely I will take a you know, folk song yeah, too yeah, anything <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a bond a rejected we'll bond we'll song. Sh- well, as many as we'll get every, sh- yeah, every we'll, show we'll, we'll switch and, off and then we could do whatever you want to talk about on and then if you need be if you if you IM us we'll give you details about ourselves because you <laughs> you, you're going to have to have things to rhyme with you know or, it's, uh, here in New York uh, Channel 2 CBS the 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 weather guy that I watch yeah. is Lonnie. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I know him. Yeah, yeah. And on the commercials, there's like a country, like Johnny Cash. Like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, Lonnie's heading out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like, uh, gotta listen to Lonnie. I hear, you hear a lot of those. Like, they have a lot. It's like, I hear that on the radio a lot. You get the jingles, because I listen to a lot of radio in the morning. And you hear, like, on, on talk radio, you get a lot of, like, the jingles, like, uh, you know, especially in the New York area, you get a lot of jingles. So mm. I guess, I mean, that's a thriving industry, getting people to do your jingles. Yeah, yeah. Especially if they're pretty, like, good, you know, like they're... Well, up in Albany, this is semi-related. I can't get too far down this rabbit hole, but... Uh, <laughs> good night, everybody. <laughs> and it was kind of infamous. Yeah. WXXA23, which is like our UHF Fox channel okay. affiliate. And up, up in Albany. Television. When I, yeah, for yeah. television. When I was growing up, they had a commercial, because they were just starting to air... Uh, I feel like the reruns of Star Trek Next Generation. Okay. Like night, nightly at like 11.30 or something. 11 or 11.30. And so it was like 1989, 90. So they were already running. They were still yeah, going. Yeah, like yeah. The, the new ones were still airing, but they were going to start uh, showing like the first couple of seasons at night. And the clean-shaven first Riker. <laughs> and they did a parody of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. Yeah. That was all like... Trek next gen <laughs> like wow. Trek lyrics for the commercial <laughs> it's like data blah, 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 borg <laughs> yeah. and q we yeah. in the enterprise i think if you ask anybody that's around our age that grew up in that area and you'd be like remember this and then people be like oh yeah i do remember that commercial it's, it it's kind of notorious it's weird how jingles stay in your head because today i just saw someone shared that classic sesame street one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve and it's like you know it was a whole pinball thing yeah, seven yeah. so it's funny how jingles will stay in your head for and what? then you haven't heard it for for years that's or, the point <laughs> yeah and then it'll stay but it'll it'll it's almost like a manchurian candidate kind of yeah, thing where yeah. it's like you know you someone calls you and they start playing you the jingle you can sing along i'm that way with those and i'm that way with like 80s and 90s sitcom theme songs See, I'm like that with 80s television commercials. Like, you know, I know a boy's name is Zach. He's a Lego maniac. You know, that or <laughs> oh, yeah, par- like pizza, pizza party. party. You know? yeah. We've talked about Yeah, yeah, pizza. you know, so that's that was our Batman That cast. was a great rap. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, but yeah, see, it's like those things. But you know more 80s 
uh, because you're a teen girl at heart. <laughs> you, you know, you know the '80s. Uh, <laughs> I, li- I live as, as a 14 year old teenage yeah. '80s girl in my soul. And you, uh, you know, like Perfect Strangers and Perfect uh, Strangers and. Uh, but those sometimes are randomly pop pains. in my head. Like I'll be sitting there, like you know, sailing on the wings <laughs> of my dreams. Well, they were great. Those I know, songs. but then I don't. I can't think of what they are. Like I'm bound for better days. Yeah. I'm like, what is what is that? <laughs> Nothing's gonna stop me. So I'm in the shower singing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what is that from? And then I you there know, was one year I shared one summer I shared an office with somebody. <laughs> it's so funny though, it's like Mr. Bell, must have had it before. Who cares? <laughs> it's so. I shared an office with somebody, and we sat back to back. Yeah, and. uh and he's still one of my really good friends, even though we don't work at the same place anymore. But we got into this thing because he kind of discovered, through conversation, he discovered that I'm kind of like, you know, weird like Rain Man when it comes to the 80s sitcom. He is. I am. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah, I know. F- so he found a website that just has like little MP3s to stream of 80s sitcoms and he would start playing them and I and I can't see it because he's facing. Oh, but you, he's like quizzing you? Yeah, yeah. He's like, what's this one? I'd be like, oh, that's Family Ties. What's this one? Oh, that's my two dads. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what's this one? Oh, that's Parker Lewis can't lose. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was. That one, the other one, it's it's a cartoon, but it's kind of a leap for this. I always get that pop pa pow pow pa pa punky roaster. Remember that? Yeah. Crazy yeah. where they gave her like a, like a gremlin slash little monster as a. Yeah, yeah, the Saturday morning. Yeah, the cartoon show. So a lot, and that's another one. A lot of the Saturday morning cartoon show themes stay with me, you know. um, And then so much so that some of the shows, like the stuff that used to show up on the USA Cartoon Express, I don't know the. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know their names of the old, like you know, what was in syndication for Hanna Barbera at the time. Um, uh, Speaking of cartoon shows, and speaking of jingle and melodies that stay in your head. Because that's a big part of this movie. So I, I'm Dion Bay. I'm Jim Lake. And this is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> we need that, too. Bam, bam. We need a sting. We need like a <laughs> Saved by the Bell-esque yeah. s- sting. But I'm bound. And this is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. And we're here live again. Um, you know, bef- before we get off topic, we're talking about cartoons. I have to say, I am a little late because as of February 1st, I think it's going off Netflix Instant, but I have to plug that show I told you about. I've been trying to binge and finish before it got off the Instant. Uh, the One of the latest incarnations of Scooby-Doo, Mystery Incorporated. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I finally finished it. It's two seasons, 26 episodes, and I wholeheartedly recommend it to anybody who is a Scooby-Doo fan, cartoon fan, or a horror fan because it is freaking amazing. It's one of the most intelligent cartoons i've seen in years and it's just watching a crazy one of those where they go to some kind of was it the mystery incorporated yeah 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 where they go to like some kind of award or contest for like best like crime mystery solving team and it was it's they're there captain caveman's there jabber jaws and they're (laughs) and they're drawn and they were that's that's, i just watched that episode not too long ago (laughs) scooby has a fever so they can't go and he hallucinates it but so when he wakes up out of the fever he hallucinates the whole thing they're drawn as the 70s style i don't know if you've noticed so everybody's drawn in that 70s so you're right jabber jaws there the uh uh Captain Caveman, the the hell yeah, car, Dune buggy, Dune buggy's <laughs> there. Uh, the ghost, whatever his name is, the yeah, uh, yeah. and it's. But it, point is, it's got some amazing references, especially for horror fans. I mean, there's like homages to The Shining. There's homages to uh, Hellraiser. There's homages to like uh, the Thing. There's there's so many in the weeds. And then the reason I say, if you're a horror fan, you'll pick up a lot of it. And it's not even like a kids show. I mean, it's geared towards kids, yeah. but it's clearly an adult show. Well, if you miss it on Netflix. I believe they still air them on, or 
on like Cartoon Network or one of those like cartoon yeah affiliate. This is shows. It's the 2010. It's called Mystery Incorporated Scooby Doo, and it's really cool. They they go back to the 69. You know, I'm a I'm a big Scooby Doo fan. They go back to the original 69 Scooby Doo series. Where are you, Scooby Doo? 6970, and they wear all the same outfits from back then, but they expand on that universe. You meet the you know where they're from, Crystal Clove. You meet the parents, and as well as you having a monster of the week, you start fleshing out their characters and there's an overarching story which is really near when you get to the end of the series it's not very much it's not a children's like idea at all but it's very you know like i said there's so many references so go check it out it's really amazing and if you have kids it's something you can watch with your kids and then you'll get so much more out of it you're like oh that's hellraiser (laughs) that's night of living dead or you know there's like really crazy there's a terminator episode you know all that kind of stuff there's even like a you know phantom of paradise reference uh episode a lot of homages that's supposed to be scatman crothers son so but speaking of scatman crothers you can find us uh, on your dial between sarah vaughn and (laughs) scatman crothers that's on my ipod and we're saturday night movie sleepovers but we're talking about cartoons, we said this talking week. talking about cartoons because we're doing the live-action version of a very popular cartoon from the early to mid-80s. Yeah. Uh, 83 to... Yeah, 83 to maybe 84. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very short run here. Yeah, well, it's funny when you get to those kinds of... Uh, 83 to 85. Yeah. And then it was rebooted in 2002. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he you know, Man. We, when you do, yeah, we're talking about He Man today. But when you get to those like cartoons, those weekday afternoon cartoons, it's crazy to think that there was only like so many. There was only like four seasons of GI Joe or something like that. Yeah, you know, because there's so many episodes per season because it's on five days a week. Yeah, and this is it's good to get into with this in a minute. But this is kind of the one that kind of parent uh, that kind of pioneered that because this, I guess, was the first show to be specifically done for syndication in mind where a lot of them were just rerunning right up until 82 or so they were rerunning like old Hanna-Barbera Saturday morning cartoons where yeah. this show had specifically in mind the syndication value so you're right so each, one, each season has 65 episodes and that became I think the bar so when you have G.I. Joe or Transformers come out the next couple of years you're having seasons where you're saying there's only say two seasons but there's 65 episodes a season. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you're trying to fit five episodes yeah. into like 13 weeks. It's also that area of which we, we talk about with Transformers and G.I. Joe the movie. Which we did, yeah. Which we did back uh, back in the, the day. The cartoon check, movies. Check them out if you haven't listened yeah. to those shows yet. Which is like they created a show basically for, as, a car, as a commercial for a toy line. Yeah. They came up with this toy line for the He-Man figures. And even the movie that we're talking about tonight, uh, Masters of the Universe with Dolph Lundgren, they actually greenlit or somebody optioned, no, somebody optioned the the mo- the the rights to do the movie before the cartoon ever even yeah aired. So they, that's they optioned it based on the toy line, and that's what got people confused because by the time the movie came out, the cartoon already came and went. So people are like, this has nothing to do with the cartoon, but it wasn't because they weren't. It technically wasn't based on the actual filmation cartoon. It was yeah, based yeah. on the toy line, which is in itself has a really uh, illustrious past. Kind of like how they how they end up coming up and doing it all. Now, uh, jumping into this right in the deep end, do you have memories of the movie? Like I remember myself. I remember going to see something in '87, and I'm trying to think of what the heck it could have been. And what stands out for me that year is I saw like half a Robocop in the movies <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. saw Who Framed Roger Rabbit twice in the movies and I mm-hmm. remember waiting to go into the, the theater to see whatever movie I was seeing and I was looking into the cinema that was playing Masters of the Universe and I remember seeing the end in the credits and I caught the end bit 
of him yeah, coming out. Post, spoiler alert. Post credit. Yeah, the post credit where Frank Langella says, I'll be back. And I was like, holy crap, he said he'll be back. And I remember <laughs> seeing that in, that part in the theater, although yeah. I don't think I saw this in the theater. So that was my, and then as soon as this came out in video, I was like, you know, I got to watch it and I loved it. And then, you know, I probably haven't seen it since 80, 88, 89, 90, you know? Yeah, yeah. My recollection of it, this is, this is how I remember how it went for me. Um, I had one of my best friends growing up was Dave Mazzoni. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and he, we played baseball together and our fathers were friends. Our fathers went to high school together. And our mothers went to high school together. But, you know, my, I think my mom went to, like, an all-girl high school and my dad went to an all-boy high school. So uh, so they were, like, family friends, including he was, like, my best friend. Dave has gone on to become a filmmaker, and his last movie he did with his directing partner was called The Fields, um, which was produced by, or executive produced by Tommy Lee Wallace. Oh, wow. And uh, who we've talked about on the cast. Yeah, because we did Season of the Witch. Three, yeah. yeah. And, uh, but, uh, I used to go over his house and his, he had like a finished basement and we would play, I don't know if you remember a video game that was like Jordan versus bird. Yeah. Yeah. But he had like, it was before that we were, we lived in Philadelphia. He had Dr. J versus <laughs> for like wow. the computer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, not, okay. Not for like a gaming <laughs> yeah, system. With the floppy disk. <laughs> yeah. With the floppy yeah. in. So we would go there and play and that. DOS. <laughs> and we would go, next door was a restaurant that was closed during the day. And so he and I would go and, and this play. is your Philly days. Yeah. Kicking, kicking it Philly style. This is kicking it Philly style. Yeah. Yeah. And we would play uh, like wiffle ball with our dads yeah. in, the, in the parking lot next door. So a lot of really fond memories of hanging out at, at Dave's house. And with that comes watching some movies. One, we watched Jaws, and I remember we played Jaws up in his bedroom. Like, on the bed was the ship. <laughs> I did that in the water because we had a pool which, in my house. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. You get, we had, like, that year, my parents bought me, like, a blow up raft. And, the, so, and, the, yeah. and you couldn't get into the, you know, the shark was the carpet. Yeah, you know, it was in the carpet. You could, I remember that. And everyone always fall off. <laughs> <laughs> and the other movie I remember seeing in his basement was Masters of the Universe. Wow. And I remember, for some reason, not knowing that movie existed. Like, being like, there's a, there's a He-Man movie? <laughs> but you were fully aware of the, the oh, yeah, cartoon. Oh, yeah, I was a fan of the, the cartoon. Yeah. I had the toys. Yeah. Still have all the toys in my dad's basement, I'm sure. Uh, Castle, Castle Grayskull, wow. fucking Snake Mountain, or whatever. The, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I had all that shit. Yeah. So I was way into He-Man. But for some reason, my recollection is not even knowing there was a live-action he-Man movie. I guess his, he had rented it, and he's like, "Well, you want to watch this?" And we watched it, and, and, I, and I remember both of us like really fucking loving it. Do, after you, it. do you remember what year it is? I mean, is it like right around it came out, or is it a little later? I would imagine it's got to be when it was in like a new release, so like eighty-eight on, or something, yeah, or whatever. So probably like eight, late eighty-seven or eighty. I don't remember what month yeah, this I movie think it came comes out, out in June, maybe or so. Or so it was probably uh, eighty-eight, August the seventh, eighty-seven. So back then, for people who don't know. If this came out August the seventh, this movie wouldn't get on video till like maybe close to Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so if that, you know, so yeah. you probably yeah, early eighties, winter eighties, long wait time back in yeah. those days. Oh, geez, so. I remember Batman, man. When Batman came out, it was like they wanted to get it, and you had to wait till Christmas. It was like it came out in June. You're like, come on. Yeah, yeah. So that's my re- and so it's a very fond memory of watching this movie. Yeah, watching it in Dave's basement, and both of us really liking it, and. um I've seen it since, but not many times. Yeah. Like, this is not a movie that was a staple for me to watch over and over again. 
but I do have that one really fond memory of watching it and remember really loving it a lot yeah. when I did watch it. And I remember I got my dad, uh, my parents were divorced, but so my, I would see my dad on the weekends, but my dad would just like sign me up for magazine subscriptions. So it was a lot of like, uh, like Starlog or more of, um, no, it was, uh, there were like, there was like a kid, highlights, like a kid, <laughs> highlights yeah, was yeah. one. There was the one that had like, it was like a biology type one. And they would, sh- it was always cool. Cause they would show you like the musculature underneath the skin. It'd be like a different animal. each issue. I had that one. The one was the zoo animals, right? Yeah, and yeah, it'd be yeah. like a, yeah. And it'd be an elephant or something. You'd open it up. It'd be like, you see like his, his, his muscular and then you see his skeletal. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> each, ep- each, each one was like the wolf was the one issue. The el- Yeah. What the hell? That's like zoo animals. Or and something. there was like a kids sports illustrated yeah, I remember and that. there was maybe like a kids readers digest or like, so there was a small one Yeah, and I remember what it was. And I remember, no, actually this was a bigger issue because it came and there was a poster of Dolph Lundgren from Masters Universe where, you, you know, in the center page insert, where, you yeah, can yeah. T- where you can take it out. And so that issue came, and I don't, I, fortunately I don't remember what magazine it was, but that month or whatever month it was, um, which actually kind of like contradicts my story. So Yeah, you would have had known that it came yeah. out. Or maybe I got the magazine afterwards. But I do remember having a magazine of it at some point. Yeah. Um, it's a long time ago. Give me a break. <laughs> it's real fuzzy. <laughs> Uh, and I, because I remember I had the poster and I hung the poster up. What's it? Just like Dolph, like yeah, just like, like Dolph standing, standing with, there with in like a, in a you know thing. whatever that that famous California like rock formation, set, you know. Oh yeah, the, Val, the Valdez, or yeah, whatever. like <laughs> like behind him. Oh, and uh, oh, so he's not even in the studio. He's like, oh. <laughs> and uh, I remember reading about it and being and then discovering like, oh, he's the fucking Russian from Rocky IV. <laughs> It all makes sense because it was like because this was his first leading role. Yeah, but his first film role was at least significant film role was as Ivan Drago from Rocky IV. Yeah, and I guess they were kind of hesitant. Some people were hesitant to cast him in this, but this also I guess has a heavy footprint with Canon as well in the whole because this was like the beginning of the end for Canon. Yeah, which I'm sure we talk about Canon. Yeah, we talked about Canon in, in uh, Invasion USA, USA yeah. and maybe even the Punisher cast. But it, it all makes sense now because. You think they sign him up for a three-picture deal? This was his first one. I remember seeing Red Scorpion right when that came out on yeah. video, Soundtrack and I haven't I haven't scored seen by Jay Chadwick. Yeah, and I haven't seen that since. And then the last movie was probably The Punisher, and that's when the, the Canon went out of business, and that's why Punisher never got a uh, U.S. release because they didn't have a distributor yeah. until a year later went to straight to video. And uh, I didn't know that even Over the Top was a canon movie. Cause I, yeah, cause Stallone had a deal with them in the late 80s where Over the Top, I feel like there might be one other movie. Yeah, I was trying to figure that out in the filmology because it's like around that time it was like Over the Top and then was it like Tango and Cash or... I don't think... I or think there's Tango and Cash must have been a bigger That's like 89. Though. So I was trying to figure out like what right around there... Did, or Ramble 3 is 87, so was it Ramble 3... You know, because it's like 87 is over the top and Rambo 3, maybe 87, 88, and then 89 is Tango and Cash. It might have been something like Lock Up. Lock Up is 89, 90. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it, so it could have been filmed in maybe the late year or something. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I was trying to figure out, too, because, you know, not to get too much into canon, but there's that great documentary that you referenced, The Electric Boogaloo, yeah. uh, which is on Netflix streaming if you haven't. It talks about the rise and fall of canon. And it's so amazing because when you watch that documentary, you forget how. Much like we should do like a side cast on that because you forget how much of yeah, uh, yeah. impact on it's kids, how, you know, how much uh, content they put out that that especially kids of the 80s would watch. 
I mean, they had like you know they 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 greenlit you know Chuck Norris, the whole slew of his films, the whole slew of Charlie, Charlie Bronson, yeah. uh, Van Damme. Uh, we said Dolph here. They even had Stallone come in, and then they had all those skin flicks, which was hilarious because you go into depth about the Israeli brothers or cousins in the Invasion USA. We kind of talk about yeah, the canon Golden things. And yeah, but. It's funny because when they come over here, I guess they talk about the, docu- the documentary. They wanted to put like tits in anything, which is I'm completely fine with. <laughs> but it's funny that like they they were actually getting like a list actors in these like great like English say period pieces, and then they just throw in like lesbian scenes. Like you don't need that. And they're like American audiences need to see breasts. You know we need more breasts and more yeah. fucking. And it's like so that was kind of like their demise, uh, aside from their money, how they dealt with money. But yeah, so you completely forget that all this stuff that they put. I mean, they had the rights to Spider Man for a minute. And you know the, and they did. Yeah, it was a big deal. They were even there was even like print ads for it. They went into pre-production for it. What we can talk about a little after this because they were hoping that they had greenlit start uh, Superman four. Yeah, and they had hoped that the the money that they had raised because they planned for Superman four to be a hit and they planned a He Man this movie to be a hit and they were going to take the proceeds from both those the grosses and put them to in to make a Superman uh, a Spider Man movie. Yeah. and they got into pre-production for a He-Man sequel, which we'll talk about, and Spider-Man, but then both of those flopped and they ended up taking elements of both those pre-production costumes and sets and turned them into a, a movie we'll, we'll talk about a little later. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a fascinating yeah, history. I, I didn't know any of this. It's such a big, it's like a secretly such a big part. Now it's mildly secretly. Now, yeah. Like now most of our generation has kind of no, realized like the importance of canon to our childhood. But at the time... Like when you didn't really think about that kind of stuff when you were a kid, oh, those, like, all that, like you didn't realize that like all those they fed movies the, that we remember. Yeah, they really fed that '80s action, insanity, breasts, skin flicks, uh, sequel kind of, and there there was a, certainly a market there, and they fed it, and they they kind of were smart by doing it because I mean, you know, each one of those were very memorable. I mean, all the uh, the death wishes, and then the whole slew of Chuck Norris movies they put out at the time. And not even, you know, the, there was like Murphy's Law and Ten to Midnight, other Bronson movies. And then when they got Van Damme in there, I mean, there's some really blood sport and, uh, you know, a whole bunch of other uh, Van Damme movies. So they were really knew what they were doing there. Yeah, yeah. And it's such part of like that 80s, you know, like action f- fueled madness, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, they were just brilliant at yeah. what they did in terms of dishing out like these modestly budgeted action flicks with like a-list actors and that yeah. was their hook and that, that's again you we keep referencing the invasion usa podcast but we, you go into it a lot but that would be their shtick with they would get some really good artists and a like a head and say like a charles bronson to sign on to a movie they'd have an artist draw the poster yeah, yeah. and then they'd go to like con and get some foreign and backer to like invest in that poster to be the next movie and then they would come up with a plot there <laughs> And then, and then that isn't that's like the essence of like pure cinema right there, you know. Yeah, and then yeah. and they would make that movie on the budget that they got. Unfortunately, there. I don't think the, you'd be able to do that anymore. No, I don't way, think you the can. Way the movie business works. No, now. especially nowadays in 2017. You know, we talk about Corman with the our Fantastic Four, Roger Corman's Fantastic Four uh, podcast that we did, and we talk about uh, the Canon guys with uh, Envision USA and stuff. So. Um, these are like pioneers. Of you the can't do any of that. <laughs> I mean, Canon was the first. They did the first Marvel movie. I mean, the the Punisher, Dolph Lundgren Punisher, was the first Marvel movie, and it's probably the most. Um, maybe up until very recently, uh, the most har- the hard hardest rated because it's an R. 
Yeah. And there's swearing. There's like non PC jokes. There's I don't, there might be even some nudity, and you wouldn't see that in a Marvel yeah. movie, you know. And then into the '90s, you didn't. You had to wait what almost ten years before you finally got like what X Men was the first, you know, the the 20th yeah, Century yeah. Fox. Well, the, yeah, you know that was like, that was like Blade. A, yeah, oh yeah, Blade. Gear, right, Blade came out. Paved the way, and then X Men was a big hit. Yeah, they were in the floodgates. Yeah, I remember that weekend. They were like, if X Men doesn't do good, it'll Fuck close. It. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're never gonna make an X Men movie. You, you know, Fuck you, superhero movies. <laughs> But it's also too the, the 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 background. All these elements going into this movie is fascinating. The, the the story behind Mattel, and then making He Man, and then He Man being just marketed to kids, and then the, like you're saying, their the toy line came out first. They made a, a cartoon to promote the toy line, but then they, they got into some controversy because you know, like places like England, you weren't allowed to directly market to kids, so they were like really iffy about. They wouldn't allow them to put commercials of the toy line between the the cartoon because then you're directly marketing to kids. So it's like they had a lot huh. of hiccups at the time, and, yeah. and, and certainly here too. There, He-Man did a lot of the cartoon did a lot of things that were kind of like um, trend-setting for 1982 or 83 at the yeah. time. You know, and being like a filmation, which was. Um, you know, it was around that time in the seventies with Hanna Barbera and stuff. That, and then filmation. This was like a lower budgeted. Yeah, they were trying movie. to really give a run of because Hanna Barbera started giving Warner's a run for its money in the early sixties, and then by the time of like sixty nine, like when you get into like Scooby Doo years, they start doing that. Or I guess you could say even earlier with like Flintstones and stuff. They start doing that limited animation kind of style. Yeah. You know, which you, because like if you watch He Man. The only thing I remember about He-Man, and I watched it yeah, like, yeah. religiously, but the only thing that sticks in my memory are specific shots. Oh, the, the ones they reused. Because they reused, <laughs> they reused the same shots in every episode. They rotoscoped, right? They, would, they'd hack, they had like a, a, a very, um, uh, not an inferior version of it, but they would take like shots of people like walking a certain way or running into the camera a certain yeah, way, yeah. and they would just reuse the shit out of that. But there was like, they had every, there was like a handful of like shots that they get reused in every episode, and there's one where he wa- walks from like the top left screen <laughs> to the bottom right. Yeah. And then the one that was like always exciting to watch is when running. <laughs> <laughs> the running one, and then there was one where he's on that like flying scooter thing yeah. that came out the toy was awesome and like the front of it or something would come off and it'd be like this flying bike type thing yeah like a speeder bike type thing and there was always a, there was one shot of him driving back like towards the camera yeah. and I remember always being psyched when that shot came out it's because <laughs> that one didn't come up every episode you know <laughs> that, was, that was like the, that was the one they sprinkled <laughs> oh, in it's just, that one yeah. it's like when you watch the Batman uh, 69 series and then if Batgirl was going to be on like Batgirl was in the animation at the beginning oh yeah oh it's Batgirl (laughs) yeah they throw that right in it's weird because then you know Filmation didn't do that all the time because they ended up doing like the Ghostbusters cartoon the one that was not real Ghostbusters but the other one with the monkey off the 70s show so they didn't always use rotoscoping you know but I guess they did it for this and then at the time what was else was Filmation doing they they were doing um, were they doing like Brave Star maybe too, but that I mean, that's later. Well, that very well could that's have been. Late 80s. That might have been. Um, that's it, tough to say. But I mean, it's, it's a good Care question. Bears Filmation too. I mean, there's a no, whole. No, I feel like Care Bears is actually the studio, and I could be mistaken, so don't. You're you know. a fucking rock. <laughs> but to my to my recollection, Care Bears might be the studio that did the animation in the Star Wars Holiday Special. Oh, that's um, uh, uh, Novella. 
like some Canadian. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the one that had the rights to Batman, the animated series in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be uh, uh, who did Care Bears. No, Novella. But uh, but speaking of Batman animated series, should give a shout out that uh, I believe the great Paul Dini, yeah, who we talk a lot about when we did our Batman the animated series episode. I think he might have got a start in animation writing for He-Man. Yeah, and one of the guys who started pioneering the uh, backstory for, for when he when it moved to DC comic books. Um, Mark uh, Textera, the guy, aka the artist Text, who yeah, yeah. you and I met, because mm-hmm. he was a, he, for me, I'm a huge Punisher fan. He was drawing a lot of crucial Punisher years. Uh, we met him at the Mercant, what's the Mercant, the comic book Mercant? Um, yeah, Market. Marketplace. The New York mar- comic book Market. I mean, it has a long name, but they, they abbreviate to like, you know, it's coming up in March. Yeah, every year they. In, uh, in Midtown. Yeah. Well, we met him there a couple years ago and I got my picture with him and I was like, and he drew his, he signed it by drawing. Like the the profile of Frank. I Castle. remember he like didn't charge barely anything. No, it was great. And then you gave him like an extra ten bucks, and he was like so sad. Yeah, well, because <laughs> I brought my own with me. Like I I dug out. My, I, you told me we, we were gonna go, and that was our that was our thing. That was the first one we went to, right? No, that was the second because that was the first one we. Oh wait a minute, you're right. You're right. Yeah, that was at the New Yorker. Then they moved it yeah. to the Pennsylvania. Yeah, so that was the first one that we went to together, and. I was looking, I saw who was going to be there, so I went to my parents' house, dug out all the Punisher issues he did, like the War Journals and the Punishers, yeah, yeah. and I brought like five with me, like my favorites, and he autographed every single one of them and put like his little, yeah, like a his little, little profile, profile like, with like a like a Dick Tracy-esque jaw on Frank Castle on the cover, and I was like, this is fucking awesome, <laughs> you know, and then I got a picture with him, and then we went back and we were talking to him, and he, remember he was late, he lives like up in Stanford, or maybe somewhere we were talking about how he got here to commute, and yeah. I forgot, but, but, but it's funny to see that he had a... He was also part of the formative years of He-Man, you know. Um, I guess to start this whole puppy off, it's like uh, Mattel back in like 1976 or so. Uh, they were gonna they passed on optioning Star Wars the toys because I guess Lucasfilm wanted like 750 thousand up front or something like that, and they were like, we can't do that. And then after that franchise, they realized shit. You know, we need to have something like it that'll that'll be able to uh you know match the sales and the gross of that so they ended up coming out with um they had a guy uh, robert sweet who was the lead designer at mattel he kind of like came up with an idea uh of this guy named uh you know uh, he, he was heavily influenced to say by frank Vizetta because he kind of he liked the frank Vizetta art at the time mm-hmm. and uh this robert roger sweet came up with this he idea for a tour and he took like i guess at the time they had these big gym Dolls. So he, he took a big gym doll and he and he kind of like used clay, modeling clay, and added three dimensions to it, uh, prototypes. And he brought it to the head of of um, of Mattel at the time. And they had like a trio. They had three models: a barbarian, a soldier, and a spaceman. And out of the three concepts, they thought that you know it'd be good for him to be the barbarian. Now at the time, Conan was out. Yeah. And they had, I think, rights to Conan. So they got into a little Conan the Barbarian. They got into a little s- lawsuit with Conan because this p- predates Conan because this is like 79 or 80. And Conan doesn't come out to what, like 81 or 82 or 83, the first Conan movie? Uh, I don't remember the f- first. Has to be has to be early. It's, it's early, early 80s. So uh, they end up, Mattel wins the lawsuit because they, they realize that, you know, Conan doesn't have legs to sit on because they can show prior to this that uh, yeah. that they came out with this. But they pick uh, the Conan, they pick like a, a warrior form. And the, the original idea for it was they release a, a, the toy line in 81 
And they put this cool thing in it, which I don't really remember. Well, I never collected He-Man. Yeah, yeah. It's another big contention of mine. You know as I, <laughs> as I do. We go into yeah, it every yeah. time. <laughs> every episode. Yeah, we go into this. So it's, it's a long story. But I bought one of them, and I had to return it because my mom was so evil when I was little. But anyway, but they would pack in it mini comic books. And in these mini, mini comic books is where they explored the idea of, of He-Man as a kind of a character. And... Um, the mini idea was th- that his original, uh, in the original comics that, that Mattel put out, was he was called He-Man, it was called He-Man and the Power Sword, and he was a wandering barbarian, and he was leaving behind his jungle tribe in uh, Eternia, and uh, the other people was Skeletor, and Skeletor was a, like a, a, a warlock or a barbarian, and it was very basic at that time, and there was this weird thing what they had were the two swords, he-Man had one sword and Skeletor yeah. had the other sword. And the idea was that you, if you got both swords and you put both swords together, you would then be able to become, hence, master of the universe or masters of the universe. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, very, it, was, it was heavily like, reliant on um, him being a wandering barbarian, but it was the aftermath of a great war and, and, and their, their civilization had been devastated. And whatever this war was, it left behind this fantastic fantastical machinery and weapons and uh that's why they had that sci-fi fantasy kind of meld there and and uh so they put those out and this is prior to him having like a double identity too you didn't have adam or whatever yeah so you put these they end up putting out these um these mini comics which they they end up doing from like 81 to 87 i think there's like 47 issues of these mini comics and then dc gets interested and then dc starts putting out uh, original comics for them too and that's where you have DC doing stuff and you have Mark Textera and they start in, taking in the backstory where like one of the first n- notable tales they were doing inserts into other comics of He-Man was they had like He-Man team up with like Superman yeah. and they did like a battle together or whatever and uh, they add in like the alternate ego of Adam and they add in like the other stuff like his father and his mother and this is interesting which I never knew is that like his Adam's mother uh, Queen Marlena was actually an alien coming from an uh, astronaut from Earth, and that ends up tying up in the in the comic book adaptation of the '87 canon movie. Is at the end they make that link in the comic book yeah, yeah. that she's from an astronaut from Earth, but they they kind of uh, act that she was an astronaut that that was from Earth that was marooned on Eternia, and that's the reason why you know it kind of links the two worlds together, and. Um, from there, they ended up going, and then they, they get Mattel, they end up putting out, like, uh, what is it, until 87, 70 different vehicles or characters, 24 characters, 12 vehicles, six playsets, 10 accessories, and then Filmation gets involved in 82, and Filmation ends up doing 130 episodes for two seasons altogether, and then they scrap a third season of He-Man, and they end up doing She-Ra instead. Yeah, and funny enough, the movie we're doing, He Man, isn't the first uh, like theatrically done movie of He Man. Uh, it's actually She-Ra and He Man do a movie called like the uh, the Power, the Secret of the Sword, He Man and She-Ra, and that came out the spring of '85, and that introduced his twin sister She-Ra, and that then gave us the third season which was no longer he-man he-man would make guest appearances but yeah, it was yeah. she-ra then and because they wanted to diversify their audience and get more girls involved and which was kind of a smart marketing thing yeah but they yeah. kind of just cut that out seemed He-Man. to be a big thing in the 80s you had like you had barbie had gem you had yeah, like you, had you know gem, but then you also you had like 
my buddy and kid sister. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or <laughs> kid sister, kid sister, wherever she goes, I'm gonna go. <laughs> which I think turned out to be like the, the basis of like Chucky. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But the, you had yeah strawberry shortcake. You had like all those my little pony. Yeah, all those things that were really uh, put into them or p- to girls, and then. They actually had a Christmas special too, which is pretty cool. Maybe we can get to one year, like <laughs> the Sesame Street. Or not Sesame the other thing I really remember about Shira, and I watched it because. Oh, who didn't? There was nothing the, else. Because He Man would guest on them sometimes. Yeah. So would like uh, Skeletor. Is that like visually, from a visual standpoint, the bad guy in Shira was fucking awesome? He was scary looking. <laughs> he was like a souped-up version of like. Um, he was like a scarier version. Of he was like a Skeletor. Yeah, but like a phantomy. Ghouly, yeah, in like a skeleton and a mask, and it was all very weird. And then I loved his robots, you know, those robots. And that was the big thing too, that the what ended up doing was the uh, the TV show ends up like really um, pioneering here because since for censorship purposes, the, the, up until the seventies, children's television show was really restrictive in scope of of programming what you weren't allowed to do on and off screen. Yeah. And what He Man was able to do was that for the first time to show like a muscular superhero actually like uh use a sword and hit people although they didn't really have them like hitting too much it was more like wrestling grappling moves yeah, yeah. you know but it was all it was they, they had like him using direct violence towards people which was a big no-no it was really and to offset that that's the reason why you see in he-man and specifically gi joe they do those morality plays at the end yeah. that were actually like almost especially with he-man themed through the episode they used like the the story arc of the episode at the end to tell the morality play to offset the violence, and that was the kind of deal I guess they came up with the FCC that yeah. they did with GI Joe. And then, like I said, the other thing was the the advertising since they were based off of products. Like, so you take Britain for instance, which they, you can't really directly market to kids. They would severely edit the show. They would actually edit that out, the morality tale thing at the end. But they were really worried that you couldn't insert a commercial for He-Man to toys in the middle because then you'd be directly marketing to these kids. Yeah. And He-Man, we, like we said, is the first show to be directly produced for syndication as opposed to like just rerunning old Saturday morning cartoons. So you'd have, like we said, uh, the first season would be 65 episodes. It'd just be five days a week for 13 yeah, weeks. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean... Uh, it had to be that that like begot like Thundercats and stuff. Oh I mean, yeah, that's very age. similar. But prior to that, which I was thinking of, which we brought up not too long ago, it's that you have Thundar comes out. Yeah, well, I was gonna say like, like Anna Barbera Thundar is like I wonder if that's I see that must be prior to I think if that's like an answer to Conan maybe, but it's prior to like Filmation's He Man, so He Man yeah. must be out in in toy form. Well, don't forget that Conan was also a very popular comic book. Oh, yeah, it goes back to 50 years. Yeah, so I don't know if Thunder was in direct. It'd be interesting. Because Thunder is my shit. I mean, that's like such a great. It was awesome. It's such another show that's like, that's not made for a kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, but, you know, there was this period of time where these kinds of like fantasy slash futuristic uh, things were happening. We had like Thunder and. And then, and then P Man, and then Thundercats, and then, but even just like the sword and sorcery type thing. Yeah, like an Excalibur thing. kind and of a thing. Dungeons and Dragons became yeah. a thing. It was like the, that late seventies into the early to mid. It's 80s. like it's an answer to like the, the to like the space opera. You have like you know Battlestar Galactica yeah. in space, Star Wars. You have uh, Buck Rogers, but then on Earth or yeah, well or then a form you know like in the early eighties you had the Flash Gordon movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is very interesting because that movie plot wise is in a lot of ways I, I kind of think of as being like the opposite of this movie like this movie in in the original Flash Gordon movie 
you know, Flash and the female reporter or something, they get I can't, I don't even remember that sent. movie. Except the Queen's soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, we should, we've got to do that oh, no. movie at some point. But it was a complete a failure, lot. right? Yeah, yeah, and it's really cheesy, but it, it is a hell of a lot of fun. I actually just watched it recently. I just saw a clip of it, not to, to stop down, but I saw a clip of it online, and the online clip looked like if it was a spoof, but it wasn't. It was like, it's actually serious, where yeah. he's like running around like as a linebacker, knocking people out like... <laughs> And like, what's his face is um yeah Timothy Dalton. What's the what's the bad guy in it? Oh, what's his uh, name? Ming the Merciless. Yeah, but with Va- Max Montano. Max Montano was like, your men suck or something <laughs> like. Was like. I was like, is this real? They're like, yeah, that you know, that's straight, you know. But in that one, it's like an Earthling gets sent to like this other dimension or other planet or something, and ends up having to be the hero. Whereas this movie is kind of the opposite, where it's like the hero gets sent to Earth, yeah, present day Earth, to become the hero, um, in in some ways, but uh. But, you know, it shares a lot of, it actually shares a lot of, you know, similarities with the, with the, that Flash Gordon movie, which, of course, only got made because of the success of the Star Wars movies. And, and a lot of people actually think of this Masters Universe. I've heard a lot of my friends talk about how this is a bit of a Star Wars ripoff or, you know, Star Wars exploitation. And aside from... Well, they were billing it, too. Canon before they came out. Before it came it was going to be Star Wars for the 80s. Yeah, but still, but huge. this is like in... Re- you know, these are friends that think about this in a retrospect. Well, they also cite the robot... The, 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 well, that's going to say, yeah. other than the fact that, like, the Stormtrooper-type characters have a very similar helmet to uh, Darth Vader, there's really not a whole lot of similarities between this and Star Wars movies. Um, so, I'm going to say that to all my friends out there. <laughs> You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna uh, lodge a complaint. I do not believe respectfully, you. you respectfully I d- disagree. Yeah, uh, it has way more to. I, I think it has way more in common with, um, the, like the flat Flash Gordon movie, and then even the director Gary Goldard or Goddard uh, of the '87 movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The '87 movie talked about how he really wanted this to be a uh, an homage to Jack Kirby, who. Um, I'm sure we talked about when we did Fantastic Four, a legendary comic book artist. Uh, And in a lot of ways, you can kind of see that uh, homage. First, he wanted Jack Kirby. He wanted Jack Kirby to do, like, the design art for it. But uh, I guess Cannon didn't want to do it. And then he even originally They probably didn't want to pay him. It's probably what it is. It's all coming on the money. And then he even had a special thanks to Jack Kirby and then credits that got then got cut out yeah. before it got So they're released. like, no, there's no relation to Kirby. But if you <laughs> fuck Kirby. Yeah, fuck <laughs> Kirby. That's our that's our um our Israeli <laughs> accents of the head of canon. But uh if you think about it, there's a lot of there are a lot of similarities to like the Fantastic Four, the Doctor Doom character and Skeletor in this movie and uh and obviously the Connections with Thor, which Kirby drew for a long time, and then there was one very specific uh, comic book that Kirby did, um, The New Gods, which I think is probably the most direct homage to, uh, that this movie pays most direct homage to it, with some plot points and storyline and stuff. Um and uh, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, you're saying that the Jack Kirby reference, the movie was a real home. He wanted to have. Oh yeah, just just Jack kind Kirby. of like where like the origins of like w- this movie in terms of uh, influences and stuff. Um, it's a it's an interesting movie in that it's it is so reminiscent of so many other things, yeah. and yet. Uh, it is a live adaptation of a popular cartoon. Yet 
so not like the cartoon. Yeah, well, that's the problem is that it, it ends up being they don't they don't go off the cartoon. They go off kind of the, the designs of the toys and the original comic books, the first, the mini comics that came with the toys and that, you know, gave the exposition of the story, of the backstory, but then the DC comics. So that was where the confusion was because they never really announced that per se. Before we get off the, 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 the Mattel franchise, I also liked it. It was dis- disseminated in many forms. They had Golden Books. They had Ladybird Books. But I didn't know that they actually had... They recorded 37 episodes that were 40 minutes apiece of, like, records. And, like, that were, re- that were released as, like, records and cassettes. Yeah. You know, of... Um, I don't think I had any of these. And they I, actually had a... And then they had a tour, too, a Master Universe, like, live TV tour. I had, I had some of the uh, Thundercats. Like oh, books. they did that too for Thundercats, like, like books and tapes, or books with like a forty-five or a or a thirty-three and a, half, a third LP. Yeah, and I just remember the art, especially the cover art of the Thundercats uh, books, were fucking beautiful to my recollection. Yeah, like really beautiful. Like somebody painted like these amazing things. And those were the covers of of these things uh, of these like books on with tapes and stuff. Um, I used to love those when I was little. Yeah. This this past Christmas for my uh, nephew, I wanted to. My brother has a record player, so yeah. I wanted to get him. Oh, like a Spider Man one. Yeah, yeah. So I got him a Spider Man. It turns out it wasn't a Spider Man one with a book, but it's oh. still like a the story. Yeah, you like, can sit there and listen to it. Yeah, yeah. And I was so excited when I found one, like retro. You know, like yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. This you, is you like bought it on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> this is like vintage stuff, because I have so fond re- memories of uh, these books and tapes. I've talked about the Batman one, and when we did Black Hole, I told you about the the Disney one that yeah. I had which was a tape. The Batman one was a tape. And then I had the ones that were 45s of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Tron. So 45, and we're talking like a... Yeah, it's like, what, 10 minutes or less? <laughs> yeah, or, or, yeah, like, like eight, you know. eight and a half minute <laughs> yeah. versions of Tron. And Raiders that's of the really Lost truncated. Ark. Yeah. You know? Uh, I mean, it, it, I mean the, the series itself, the cartoon is pretty cool. They ended up doing the last, uh, the last appearance of She-Ra, I think, is like... December of 13th at 86 so yeah. or that's when the show ends uh, shout out to John Irwin who voiced He-Man because he de- he's actually the pioneer of what Kevin Conway uh, did on um, Batman Conroy where he, Conroy, right. Conway I'm thinking of uh, Conway from Goodfellas <laughs> Jimmy Conway uh, you know he's, he's talking like hello there like as yeah, yeah. Adam and then he'd be like you know they put some reverb like <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's you know that's, that's what he's doing and then Skeletor was done by our old man uh, Oppenheimer the guy who did all the um, the voice work for Ghostbusters, the filmation TV show, and then all the stuff in um, Never Ending Story. Yeah. Alan Oppenheimer, I think his name is. Who is, uh, you just posted a retro poster of it, so I came, so I'm bringing this up. He's also in, as an actor, in Westworld. Yes, yes, he's one of the, he's, isn't he like he's one like of the, the, doctor the, com- the, or like the computer the, guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, of, of the, uh, of the thing of uh, Westworld itself, so they end up doing the movie, and and then like we said, since we, they based the movie off probably the, the the toy run and the initial things, they leave a lot of stuff on the table. They they don't have any reference to Prince Adam in the movie. Yeah. They uh, the con- the story concentrates a little more on science fiction than it does on fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he Man's using a gun here. You know, there's very little sword play, 
and he he only displays his superhuman strength with, like once near the end when he pushes that big uh, pillar over. Yeah, you know. And they had budget restrictions because you got to think like I guess going into this, it's always like the director's fantasy where he can like do whatever he wants. So he had this big epic thing where he wanted to do as much as he could in Eternia, but the yeah. whole idea was to keep budget down. Was they were going to have a f- find out a way to bring him he man and the characters and the, the story to Earth. Sure. So. They said that they, at the beginning they scouted like Iceland and parts because they were going to shoot like the opening attorney stuff there. And then they ran out of money. And, like yeah. you said, they just went to like that Vasquez. Vasquez. Yeah, well, they were going to shoot like in this, <laughs> in this, like the inside of a old, like non-active volcano or something. Yeah, they had all like, these they elaborate. Fa- they had found you know, like apparently these like, amazing locations, you know, all over the world. And then all of a sudden it was like the budget just got fucking. Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> so they ended <laughs> yeah. up shooting, you know, in that uh, that famous. You know, that's where the the, the Vasquez or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's where Kirk fights the Gorn. Yeah, it's it's, (laughs) Star Trek. Yeah, for for TV people or for Uh, people in the know, it's very visible. A lot of like Briscoe County was shot there, and all kinds of stuff through the decades and decades of of episodic television. You know, yeah. yeah, So they they end up scrapping a lot of it, and then they so they uh, the director is brought on board, and nobody's cast yet except Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, and. he, I guess, they said he's the perfect he man. Yeah. Well, before we just, I just want to give an, like a little shout out to the fact that the toys were really awesome. I mean, we don't really have time to really yeah get, yeah get into the toys, but you know, I don't want you, everybody who's listening to think that we're just like why well, I just completely glazed over that the toys were awesome. Yeah, the toys were awesome. <laughs> the toys were great. I mean, the 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 the, the, the I mean, the pure um, multitude of what they had what they came out with with the everything characters all the characters they came out with and then like all the gimmicks you know like all the, with the giant hand did. or the well the robot one that was kind of see-through with the gears on the inside and, and then like you know the uh, guy with the spinning face uh that's the guy i had so my my brief history was this with like you know my mom uh, like i've said before she wanted me to big toy line she'd let me collect basically whatever i wanted but for big toy line she wanted me to pick two yeah. So I picked Transformers and GI Joe. The edict was brought down. Yeah, uh, you could you could do Matchbox constructs, anything else, but you know, no Den Star Wars, no He Man, really, no mask. So I brought home a He Man one day, and then she took that shit right back. Yeah, like, <laughs> where did you get that? Yeah, like dad bought me that guy over there. That's not your father, you know. And then I brought it back, and then like I I, I said famously, I had seen an episode of um, of the. Um, uh, Dukes of Hazard, where the the ginger haired kid from Different Strokes and Terminator Two and Salute Your Shirts was in it, and he uh, he didn't talk the entire episode for something. So I tried to do that with my mom until yeah, it was like dinner time. Yeah, and she's like, "Fuck it, you want hungry? Uh, I'm hungry." <laughs> so, but everybody in the neighborhood had them, so I would have to go then go over to my friend's house to play with like the freaking velvet, you know, battle cat, <laughs> you know, you know like, yeah, whatever yeah. it was, you know, or you had like freaking. Yeah, well, yeah. Battle Cat wasn't, but the purple one. The purple, the bad guy one. Yeah, it was like, yeah. ve- it was like, it was like velvet, you know, it was like, or, you know, it was like a panther. Yeah, yeah. And then you have like, um, uh, you have, you had Castle Grayskull, and then you had Snake Mountain had like the bullhorn. You could, you could talk to Yeah, there was the, like a microphone. Yeah, and it was like, there was like a wolf head. Yeah, and you could and talk, talk to this wolf head, and then you could move the mouth of the, of the, of the face. <laughs> and then you can bring like, maybe like Castle Grayskulls, like that you can open the door, the drawbridge. And the drawbridge. Castle Grey Skull was awesome. I mean, like we said, they had seventy distinct figures in all, twenty-four creatures, twelve vehicles, six playsets, ten accessories, and then the final two overseas releases came from Italy in eighty-eight. So they went from eighty-three to like eighty-seven, yeah. and that's a big run. And then you think about with She-Ra and shit like that too. She-Ra had a huge. They had a you know, uh, Jesus, I, I guess a whole other 
you think of how much stuff they put out with with her stuff too that's a that's a chunk of stuff and like you said there's a lot of like thought going into each character like you yeah. know i remember uh was it trap jaw he was so crazy looking scary he looked like he was wearing like a football helmet with the jaw and then, yeah they you even know, had the ones that had like there was the spinning the, chest the symbol yeah. yeah so like if and you, you hit, hit it it was like damage yeah you can hit you can hit like he-man and then they had that for he-man and, and skeletor and then like it would turn it'd be the little battle damage there well, and we like, were just talking about uh castle gray skull it reminded me very quick story one year one day this is mid eighties, fill it up kicking a Philly style. Uh, me and my brother. My mom went out one night and, oh. my, and my brother was Sounds like trouble watching me. And my mom worked in sales and had just like all these notepads that had like her name and the company she worked for and her phone number, you know, like stuff to give give away yeah. to, to co- potential customers. Pens, all this shit. So she had these big things of notepads. And uh, we decided to have a spitball fight. And my brother, like, moved the couch away from the wall. And my brother's, like, had the whole couch as, like, his cover. Yeah. And all I had on the other end of the room was the box that Castle Grey Skull came in. Well, you were, you were so small, you were able to completely hide behind it? <laughs> yeah. But still, he had this whole couch. And we sat there, just like spitballs. And, like, the front of that box was just covered in white spitballs. And then, <clears throat> like, no kidding, like, five years later, maybe even more. Yeah, five years later, we move. And there's like, we're finding spitballs like behind things. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> they were all over the I thought your mom was going to be mad because you decimated her, all her, like, you know, she had to like get all that stuff made. So you like use up all of her. I don't remember her getting too mad about it, but I do remember that when we moved, you like found all years these. later, there was like all these like dried up spitballs like behind the furniture. That's hilarious. <laughs> behind the, but I just remembered like trying to crouch behind that box the Castle Grey Skull came in. That was that, a huge box. <laughs> and having that the front of it just like covered in spitballs. And those, see, those are the kind of back in the day where it's like, you know, the USS flag or those yeah, big yeah. places where like for some reason some people would keep the box. So you always put, so I remember like Cause the kid I knew would have awesome art, yeah. Like the like the picture of like the drawing of it was Castle like it looked Blades. like a screen grab yeah, from like this cartoon. All, it was so beautiful. Yeah, I mean, and Shira ended up having twenty two action figures, twelve creatures, two playsets, and six clothing accessories. But you got to <laughs> have the girls be able to change oh, the yeah, clothes, yeah, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, it w- it was massive. The Mattel gear and all that yeah. shit out, and and I mean, if you if you were a lucky kid, and you had seventy to- <laughs> seventy He Man toys plus yeah, twenty two. Yeah. She-Ra's and you're having multiple crossovers <laughs> and stuff like that. I mean, know? it was epic, and the figures were awesome. And I mean, they, they weren't, you know, they weren't jointed like, uh, yeah, not like a GI Joe. You know, like but G. I. They, had, they like had the shoulder, they had the shoulder and the hips. And hip, but they weren't as fragile as a GI Joe. No, they were bigger, kind of stout, but just like the concepts. Whoever yeah. was inventing those, I think we talked a little about about the the figure making and stuff when we did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the movie, and yeah. and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two: Secret of the Youth. Um, but what like a fun job that must have been! Just coming up just with like all the... the imagination behind all those characters. So it's like the one that had two heads, and and uh, just so many great figures. So such fond memories of those. Uh, so yeah, I just didn't. Uh, I felt like we should give a little bit of shout out to how awesome that that figure line was before we dive into Dolph. The early this is our second Dolph movie. This is the second Dolph movie. The Punisher, oh, no, this, uh, in, as well as this, this canon. <laughs> we got to do Red Scorpion to run out, run out, to to do, run up his uh, run at canon. Uh, the original guys who did some of the stuff for Mattel was Donald F. Glutt, Mark Taylor, and Jill Ballard uh, were, were 
helped create the, his superhero and then a lot of the backstory and the different guys. But, if, I mean, how sweet is your job? No pun intended because the guy who created him was Roger Sweet. To be like you're saying, working at Mattel, and you're you're, it's it's one thing if you're there's a cartoon already in the works, and then you have to kind of come up with stuff. But yeah. instead, hey, we don't even have a Bible yet, you know. Yeah, Conan, yeah. Uh, Conan, sorry, He Man's a ro- wandering nomad from Eternia. Come up with some crazy, fantastic characters that are a mixture of fantasy and like futuristic sci-fi. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so like you like Man at Arms, and yeah, you have all Skeletor kinds. Skeletor was awesome. You have all kinds of freaking Beast Man. And, um. And uh, Evil Lynn, Trapjaw, you know, uh, like you said, Triclops, Merman, Sorcerer, Sorcerer Pantor, Westmore, Cobra Khan, Clawful, Spikor, too bad, Whiplash, all kinds of freaking people. They even had like the little wizard that was from Orko. The, eventually Orko. Yeah. And he came with, uh, you, you, you'd pull the. Yeah, they had like in the wheels because you couldn't have the fucking thing float. <laughs> like a draw, like a draw. And you, even, you had ones that could, remember like Squirt Water? Oh, yeah, there was all kinds. That's what There's I mean. all kind of, and there was like, like there was really? ooze. There was like ones where like you could be like in a dungeon and you can like drop like ooze on like you know it's like yeah, you're in a jungle. Was, yeah, slime, yeah, was, slime was huge in like <laughs> in the '80s. So that's how much of like an impression it made on me when I was going over at my friends' houses and just vicariously playing. And then also like we said, the imprint they had with uh, you know I remember you probably can buy like a He-Man sword for yourself. Yeah, I think you I had a, I had a Skeletor set. Yeah, where it came with the helmet with a glow-in-the-dark Skeletor face. That's freaking scary as all hell. And it came with a sword and a shield, and I think his staff, but his staff was like a, like a foot and Yeah, it couldn't be real. It was like a foot tall. <laughs> so it's, a little, it's for a little person. More like you just slap yeah. somebody over the head with that. Then, then Skeletor, they originally described as an evil warlord or demon from another dimension. And I guess that's what the thing was. Like, this dimension, whatever this futuristic battle happened on Attorney, it opened a portal. And these are these these people that came, decimated the uh, civilization of Eternia, and they left all this technology behind and, and opened this portal. And and that's what the the battle over the possession of this power sword that He-Man had one half of and Skeletor had the other half of. But then always, I mean, probably because of television purposes, Skeletor always refrained from wanting to kill He-Man because, and I think it's a good exa- a good backstory because that he figured if he killed he-man he-man would become a martyr for the cause yeah so his bigger plays into the movie yeah he wants to make him be a slave he wants to enslave him and then show him off like i've you know to to the attorneyans maybe i don't know what you call them so you get to the movie and then the movie when they start developing the 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 movie i I think we should do the he-man and she were christmas special because (laughs) they (laughs) talk about they talk about that saying that evidently this is one of the only times because i guess I don't know. We don't have the full story here, but something happens where like Earth kids go into Eternia, and they get hung up, and then it's it's one of the only times when Skeletor actually shows some sort of compassion because he gets so wrapped up in the Christmas spirit, he helps the Earth kids out or whatever. So I could be talking hyperbole because we haven't seen it yet, but that's what it's been described to me as. So that sounds freaking awesome because how that's like Life Day. You know, it's like how do you have Star Wars? You have Christmas, and then you, how do you have an attorney? You have, right. you know, well, we'll put it on the book. Yeah, we'll think about you know. But what's, what do they say here? Good journey. They put their hand up and they say good journey yeah, in the yeah. movie. Good journey. I remember. I remember doing that when I was little. Good journey. <laughs> <laughs> good journey. So uh, we were talking about Dolph Lundgren was cast. Yeah, he gets cast, and then they bring on the director a Gary. M- a very heavily mulleted. 
Dolph yeah. Lundgren. Yeah, who looked absolutely sweet back and I'm then. And sure I'm sure in the Punisher cast, we get a little bit into the history of Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. And, a, and a little more than we're probably going to get into it here. Yeah, he's got a fascinating past. He was like bartending. So a lot of homework for this episode. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, and I don't want anyone who are huge He-Manophiles to think that we're not doing it a disservice because we do epics on like Dick Tracy. We do epics on Batman. But I guess... To defend ourselves slightly, those are like, aside from Dick Tracy, those are like annuals. <laughs> you know, yeah, those yeah. are like, you know, so we're kind of compressed for time here, and that we're in no way. <laughs> yeah, and we're in Dick no Tracy. way, we're in no way trying to like, you know, disrespect He Man. We're trying to throw as much as we can in this cast. But, you know, yeah, my yeah. mom dropped me off late over Blake's it's house. Late. You know, it's got to take into account. So, I mean, you know, oh, this is an all nighter here. Yeah, so we watched that, and I we did. We've already, we had to watch yeah. the movie. And then we had to watch both seasons. <laughs> we watched three seasons of He Man to get up. 130 episodes. Yeah, and then we tried to do some Shiras and we just got tired. We couldn't find them all in the thing. And we but had to break out the toys. Man, we played with the toys in Blake's attic. We're like, oh. his mom's like, shut up <laughs> up there. I put my foot through the ceiling at one point because like, Blake's like, you got to step on the studs. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sorry, I can't see. There's all and the. You can't stand up all the way because for some reason all addicts have like s- nails, nails yeah, sticking out. Nails. <laughs> sticking sharp. <laughs> sharp. <laughs> yeah, ceiling. rusty nails. So it's just like ceiling. Because whoever put the freaking uh, the, the things on. On the other side, yeah, the, thought, shingle. the shingles they didn't, they had to use the freaking long ass nails. <laughs> you know, all addicts for some reason have <laughs> yeah. spiked <walled>. rusty nails. <laughs> so we, we had to go to like the emergency clinic and get our freaking, um, our what do you call it, tetanus shots, shot. tetanus shots. So it's, it was, it was, a, it was a really involved night. So we, we finally so got forgive recording. us, forgive us if we don't uh, get as epic with this epic podcast. Um, so. They take the original idea for He-Man. They keep some of the some of the core characters. They keep like Beast Man. They keep Skeletor, of course. They keep He-Man. He-Man. They keep Evil Tila, in Tila, Man at Arms. They keep the idea of like uh, Man at Arms and Tila, like that's his daughter. Yeah. They scrap, like we said, Adam and the whole like alternate ego of He-Man. He-Man's He-Man the entire time. Yeah. Eternia. As we gather, as the movie starts, Eternia has had this huge battle. And we can presume maybe that, like, Battle Cat and, like, maybe that was killed because something happened where, like, He-Man was, or uh, Skeletor was able to, like, beam right in, like, Scotty style and, like, yeah, yeah. right into, like, Castle Grace. Well, yeah, the kid, basically the idea is, yes, we're coming post some big battle. Yeah. Skeletor's basically taking over Eternia and takes over Castle Grayskull and imprisons the sorceress. The sorceress, who's played by a woman named Christina Pickles, who I guess Friends fans will know later on shows up as Courtney Cox's mother on Friends, which yes. is an odd connection. So there's, you got the <laughs> Courtney <laughs> Cox, you got yeah. the Cox Pickles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Cox Pickle, the multiple <laughs> Cox and Pickles you connections. Got the, you got the phallic symbol <laughs> yeah. connection. Uh, you know, the green, p- the Pickles bus. Remember the Pickles? The, oh, the yeah. kids on the Pickles? Yeah, what pickles was Pickles bus. It was like green the pickle, pickles the green sweet pickles, pickles. Sweet Pickles. Sweet Pickles in the bus, and you get the bus with the... And you open the bus up, and they come with like um, they come with like you know like the like the 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 bullet cards that like you got through GI Joe. Like oh, yeah, so, you yeah. get every month you get a new installment, and you put them in your pickles bus. And then in the commercial, it was real freaky because the bus would come up to the house, and then like the, you know the, the the big old stuffed animals would come out and personally deliver it. And then, they, <laughs> then the kid would wave, and then on the way out, the you know the the, the, the pickles are waving back. I, w- I never got that. I always wanted. Yeah, I don't to. think I had that. Sons either, of fucking. I do it was probably at, it was fucking ass expensive, probably for for the parents. Like I ain't gonna pay for that. <laughs> Monthly, you know, $20 a month in 82, that's a lot of money. So, um, and then as well as they, uh, you know, they, Mattel had real, at the beginning, Mattel had real stringent rules of how to use the He-Man character because you have these two cataclysmic things happening at the same time, which are unbeknownst to the director, where Mattel's starting to lose money 
by the time they're in pre-production and production for the, the theatrical movie, Mattel's lo- losing money because He-Man is kind of like taking a nosedive in popularity with kids because you have G.I. Joe, Transformers, uh, Thundercats, everything else under the yeah, sun. Yeah, and you got to take into account. Wrestling, whatever else. The show else ends in 85. You got She-Ra, excuse me, in 86. Yeah. And then this movie's coming out in 87. So they're probably, you know, they're in pre-production and probably it's like, you know, everybody's excited. By the time you get to production, it's like, shit. like, you know what? Like, this isn't shit's not popular yeah. anymore. Yeah, and then you have Canon having a lot of uh, fiscal and financial problems, and they end up going belly up in like a year or two later. So you have these two forces coming together. So uh, originally Mattel has this edict where they have all these stipulations of what they want He-Man. He-Man can't kill anybody. The, there can't be a lot of violence. He can't really, like, wield his sword too much. And, like, the director's like, come yeah. on. You know, this is a, this is a live Time action. My hands behind my back Yeah, here. this is a live action movie. So, so that's, that's why, why you get these stormtrooper exactly. type characters these, that are supposed to be more like robots yeah. than actual people. And they, they say that the knock is that they look a lot like the stormtroopers from um, Star Wars, but they're saying, no, we just, in fact, based them on kind of a samurai design, which coincidentally is kind of like what they based the Star Wars, <laughs> Vader, and, you know, off the classical samurai design. But it should be noted that... Uh, 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 sleepover movie Saturday Night Sleepover movie Hall of Fame alumni yeah. Richard Edlund oh yeah Edlund's all over was the executive visual effects supervisor and Edlund we talked about him in, in several previous casts because he he was we, we talked him probably in Ghostbusters which we talked about summer. Ghostbusters Big Trouble in Little China we also covered Monster Squad we covered uh, the Indiana Jones movies he's a part of but he did those he did Fright Star Night. Wars he did Fright Night which I just did with Mike Vanderbilt yeah uh Pol- uh, I said Poltergeist. See, this is did so many awesome, yeah, like m- movies as a as like supervising the special effects and stuff. So during pre-production, we actually get a guy who we talked about like a month and a half ago. Ralph McQuarrie comes in, who did a lot of the production design work for Star Wars, and yeah. we talked about him on the Star Wars Christmas special cast, the holiday special, and the holiday special. Sorry, a happy life day. <laughs> <laughs> happy life day to you. <laughs> and um, here they brought happy him in belated as life yeah, happy belated life day. <laughs> Uh, here they brought him in to do some of the early concept work as well, and he designed some early. He did some early drawings of like uh, what he thought Skeletor should look like, and he he designed like Skeletor to wear like a helmet and somewhere because it's hard then to figure out how you're gonna put a dude who just has a skull as a face yeah, live yeah. action. He doesn't have like eyeballs. No, he's he doesn't. Blank <laughs> yeah, so it's hard to. Or lips or anything. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's like, skeleton. It's yeah, bumbling goat. <laughs> he's very much just like he's always. There's a clip on YouTube of just all the insults, and he's just like a horrible person to work for. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you're an idiot. Oh, you're a moron, you adult. You know, so anyway. So, and then I think maybe McQuarrie also does some like landscape stuff, but they end up kind of like, for some reason, scrapping, and they don't think I use any of the McQuarrie stuff, and they end up getting a guy, um, uh, Bill Stout, as the production designer, and he ends up coming with a lot of stuff production dis- design wise along with Richard Edland and uh, they also credit the special effects the practical effects a guy named Mike Westmore who comes up with oh, the we talked about him in Rocky yeah uh, he did he did uh, the fight makeup and even Rocky's makeup throughout the whole thing with uh, in, in the in the Rocky movies or especially the first one but he's also did a he was like did a ton of the special effects for the Star Trek next generation and, yeah. the, and the subsequent the uh, series after that. I mean, he's really he comes from a makeup family. Yeah. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about Dick Smith and stuff, but uh, you know, uh, the Westmore family is a big deal in the makeup business, and Michael Westmore is is, uh, is a, he's a legend in himself, and his daughter hosts the makeup effects like game show contest. Oh, show, the Face new one. Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Yeah, that's his daughter hosts that, and then now in the in the last few seasons, he's come on as kind of a, uh, uh, you know, he gives them he gives the 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 award. No, the, he gives the contestants like like a, he comes at at the midway point. He's like the guest chef that comes in, like gives him the challenge. No, 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 not even that. But he comes in and he's no, more no, of like no. a mentor. Uh, like he'll come in and he'll look at their designs and he'll give them, you know, just a little bit of a veterans. Uh, I yeah, like he's it. like, you know what? You might want to make this a little longer, or like that might come out weird if you do it that way. Um, so Michael Westmore is now on Face Off, but uh, yeah, he was very integral with working with Frank Langella to get the face right because they wanted to figure out how to. They ca- end up casting Frank Langella, who they say doesn't even blink. He can't wait to at the at the time his four year old son's obsessed with T Man is running around the house saying I have the power. So Frank Langella is like, shit, I'll do that character in a second. So since you get such a like great stage actor to play a bad guy like that. The dilemma became like, how do you make something that you don't want to hide the actor's performance over heavy prosthetics? So yeah. that was what Westmore had to work with. Like, you know, they tried to do like a hard f- mask. And if you do like a hard, too much of a skull, then you can't really see what he's emoting. But then they tried like say foam latex and it looked almost fake. So they came up with a comfortable medium with Langella where they had the design that he was able to, you were able to see a certain amount, but see a lot of people knock that. When you get into like some of the haters of this movie, yeah, and it's funny that you know, as solid as I think this movie is, you get a lot of people who think this is a a pile of shit, yeah. and it's like, well, I can see it. Yeah. I, I enjoy it. And so do I, because it's like it's a it's it's of its era, and it's I think a they time do capsule. They do and I think they do a darn good job of what they had. You know what I mean? It's like, and and I mean, it has its faults, but for me, it's like a fault isn't like what Skeletor looks like. I mean, yeah, yeah. I think like some, maybe some of like the things are like the budget problems could be a fault, but I think for him, like, I think he looks great. He, you know, I mean, I don't you, think he's, he's unrecognizable, I think under there, but I yeah. think he does. I don't great. even think it was till recently that I real that I knew. Yeah. I didn't know Frank at the time. I, did, I mean, I knew who Franklin Jello was. I remember when I was little because he, he did those Dracula. Dracula's in the late seventies, like when first bitten or first bite, maybe or whatever one, um, that, that is in the late seventies he did. So I knew him from that, but, I always knew it was just it, it was some great actor under there, and I thought like the makeup design is amazing. So they had to come up with a you know because because the original Skeletor is like a blue body and he's a skull, and like you yeah. said, he's, he's, in, he's his skull's in a cloak and it's a floating skull. It's almost reminiscent of like the Scooby Doo alien, the, <laughs> yeah. the blue you know like it you know, lights up and pulsates under the the the, the, the big bubble. Yeah. So I thought they did a good job here, but you said th- you know they they. They don't use Macquarie. They bring in uh, Stout, Stout as the Bill Stout as the production designer. They do this lovely area, but then because of budget restrictions, they end up having to shoot like in the the, the Vasquez. I keep mispronouncing it. Whatever yeah, the yeah. the mountain area is, that, you know, which has been seen a thousand There's times. Some interns. Yeah, he did, I can't read what it's <laughs> you know. And scratch. And it's funny because like at the beginning when they when I love they set the tone. And then they have him like go out on like I love the idea of like when they, he broadcasts to the to the to the planet yeah. Skeletor of what's going on. I love that idea. That was so cool to me back then. I think it's still cool, like him yeah. broadcasting and like you have like five different the versions videos. of him. Yeah, yeah looking yeah. down at various people. And then the first shot you have of He Man is like the over the shoulder of in like a, well, actually it's a pretty wide shot of him looking and they're yeah. making eye contact. But you know Skeletor probably doesn't know. Maybe he yeah. does because he's he's a psychic or whatever. Yeah. You know he knows someone's why. But I think it's such a great way to introduce He Man. And then uh, you you know as, as the plot goes on, he has to free like Man at Arms. And you have that first battle where he's able to free Man at Arms and um, uh, uh, what's her name Tila. Tila. And I I love like. 
in that fight there when he's wielding his sword there's a lot of close-ups of it. it's very like it's very canon-ish where you see just yeah. you see close-ups <laughs> of his body of his biceps moving <laughs> a lot there, of you know? sweaty yeah muscles. a lot of sweaty like you know uh, biceps or, or, or forearms or you know like nipple areas and he's like uh, uh. and it's funny because a lot of the sword playing it's, it's almost like the Conan movies you kind of spoiled nowadays you forget I was like are they going slow because they're they, the choreography or no it's actually probably because these swords are so darn heavy yeah they're supposed to be like the, that's how it's like broadsword. Yeah, it's like raw. It's like Rob Roy. It's not like a katana. Like I guess the Schwarzenegger talks about it in Conan, where you know people with lighter swords, you you, you use your wrists, like yeah. or your forearms, say with a katana. Where with these bigger, heavier swords, you have to use your whole shoulders and your whole body to wield. So that's why it takes so long for it to come around. So a yeah. lot of this sword play is, I guess, authentic. Yeah. Um, authentic to the time. Of the, yeah, the, the time. <laughs> uh, uh, the time of Eternia. <laughs> So uh, you know, like we said, that there's there's a uh, they didn't link the two planets originally, but I guess eventually in the ending of the movie in the comic book version they do they do make a link, and uh, to start the plot going they 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 to get us moving they end up they 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 hire Franklin Jella, they hire Courtney Cox at the time she's billed as oh it's the Bruce Springsteen girl, yeah, you know, yeah. go check. She was in the Bruce like Springsteen famous movie. direct that Bruce Springsteen video? Probably. Too? I feel like De Palma directed that. Or some, something really crazy. It could be because right around that time is the reason in 87 you have Scorsese directing Bad with Wesley Snipes in it, the Michael Jackson video. So maybe there was a little thing there where famous people were directing music videos at the time. So she does this, this you know, uh, uh, what's it, Dancing in the Dark? Maybe she's dancing in the, this guns for hire. So she's the girl that gets up on stage and does that that eighties dance with in her. The dark, yeah. yeah. De Palma directed it. De Palma directed. Good, good look, Blake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I didn't know that. And uh, so she's billed when she comes in. This is her first movie, but like it's she was like hot. Like this is the the, the Springsteen yeah, yeah. girl. She gets pulled. Friend, I mean, obviously anybody that's our age will remember. She gets pulled out of the crowd. Yeah, and it's so like the video is like a con Springsteen concert, <laughs> and she's doing and she that eighties you know. And they say they brought her in the first time, and they didn't think she had a really good look because she had a lot of makeup on. So the yeah. casting director was like, "It's almost like the Jackie Gleason, uh, Audrey Meadows story, where you know they're like, come back with no makeup on. Let me see how you look." And she came back just as a regular kid. And they're like, "Yeah, you look perfect in it." Uh, they can't do Orko because Orko is it's too hard for special effects because Orko in the cartoon just floats around. Yeah. So they got to bring. Um, they they end up with a guy named Gwildor, a little like a, a little Gildor. person. Uh, played by a guy named Billy Batley, who I guess was in his 60s at this point, but he had an amazing career because Billy uh, Batley. Barty. Billy Barty. Barty? Billy yeah. Batley. I'm saying Batley Barty. Yeah. Uh, he, Big deal. Yeah, he, he's the little person in a million movies. Well, he ended up, he, he's literally born in the silent era of, uh, of I guess maybe his family was, was in, into theater, into show business, because he, as a baby, starts showing up in silent movies, and he's in the Mickey McGuire series that, uh, of silent films that Mickey Rooney did as like his older brother in all those films and then as he gets older he starts being in all these these movies and stuff and you know as he you know ends up growing up yeah. and has this little person syndrome that he had he, he was in I mean he's um, he's all over for, he's in everything yeah I mean it's and he's very everything from like H.R. Puff and stuff to he's in Willow and yeah. Legend and, and at this point he's like you know he's older he's because he dies in like 2000 I think at the age of 76 he was so a kid and the Gold Diggers of 1933, yeah. back in 1933. And if you go back further, like I said, you see he's yeah, a baby yeah. in a lot of those Mickey uh, Mickey Rooney shorts, the Mickey Maguire um, stuff. They did like a, like 40 of those uh, 
that series. Isn't Bride of Frankenstein as a baby? Yeah, so he's in a lot of stuff as a baby, and then as a young adult, he plays like the older brother and that stuff. And then as he develops and has the, the, the condition he had, he's able to acquire a lot of work. And in 1957, he actually uh, founds the Little People of America Foundation. And then I think in the 70s, he actually does the Billy uh, Bratley? Batley? Barty. Barty. He does that foundation, so they bring him in, and they put heavy makeup on him, and that must be a kind of a hard thing for him to, 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 to be able to be under all that makeup. But he yeah, was, they yeah. said he was a trooper, and he had a bad leg, too. A lot of them, a lot of little people yeah. that, are, that are afflicted with that have As bad they get joints and bad hips. Yeah, like you took about, stuff. they say, Harvey Valachez. He, he, had a, this, he was a small person, but evidently all his, in, in, his organs were real, like, real size yeah. of a real regular person. So... They said to him he wouldn't live past like 30, and he lived well into his 50s, but it got so painful as he got older that he couldn't, he had to like sleep kneeling down against his couch, Hervé Valachez. Yeah. That's how he was it, because he couldn't lay down, and then he ended up committing suicide because of depression and yeah. all this stuff that he had going on. So it's, as they get older, a lot of these things afflict them, the joints, like you said, the body aches. So he had a bad leg, they said, so they, they when they, they didn't realize that, but when they made his little house, it had a lot of ups and downs, because they made it in proportion to him so that the the actors would have to like, you know, yeah. uh, kneel over. So they had to help him around a lot on that set because of, of you know, what he ended up doing. Yeah. But they cast him, and then they invent a lot of bad guys, you know, for that they ended up making subsequential toys for. And when I was little, I loved the guy Blade. Yeah, but he was like my favorite dude, and he's actually, I guess, his real name is Anthony DeLongus. That sounds yeah. like a porn name. It's <laughs> uh, pretty sweet. My, my name is Anthony DeLongus. But he was actually, he, he was a, uh, a fight choreographer. They cast him. They had him shave his head. Then there's a whole thing with him where they wanted him to wear, like, a heavy suit and, like, rubber. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, I can't do it because of the physicality of the role. And, you know, so they gave him an eye patch. Yeah. They, but they, he looks cool in it. He and looks he also, sweet. He ended up choreographing the sword fights. Yeah, he doubles for Skeletor and at the end of the movie. During the fight, he doubles for Angela Skeletor in the yeah. actual fight scene. And then he's also got credits, like, yeah, oh. teaching, like, Harrison Ford how to use the whip in, you know, in like, in like King of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. You know, so he's been around a long time doing all kinds of Yeah, a lot of, like, a lot of choreography. Particularly like, sword, like usually sword choreography or whatever and he's in a lot of like uh, martial arts movies and that kind of thing. And I always thought he was a freaking badass character. And I guess the backstory for him is there's a scene where he says, I've been waiting a long time for this and supposedly the backstory they don't get into in the movie is that He-Man's the one who Lo, you oh, know, cut his eye out. Cut his eye out and gave him the eye patch with a big scar. So you have him and you have you have Beast Man and Beast Man was a lot different from the original show. But that like as they said, the fangs the guy the poor guy wore he couldn't shut his mouth, yeah. so he had to sit there open. And then he started drooling, and he was drooling so much the drool was getting into the appliance he had on the bottom of his jaw, and it was weighing everything down. <laughs> so it started to come off, you know. And then it was all kind of weird stuff. And then like the 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 lizard guy, they said he had like. That was a real in-depth makeup, and he had like yeah. a breather in there that would function for something else and made his skin move. And it yeah, was, it was a great makeup. Th- that is, I mean, and, and I always felt bad because he he gets like in He's quarter like the, the first movie, one he, he gets off. You know, well, yeah. like, Skeletor makes the other one that kind of looks like D- Ronnie James Dio, <laughs> like is an alien. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he's very <laughs> with the big white hair, yeah. and he's like, you know, like, hey, you know, he's, he almost looks like uh, William Devane with a bad um, like scarf job. Yeah, some, some very cool makeups. I want to give it a shout out to. Uh, we got to mention you know, Meg Foster. Oh, God. Meg Foster in this movie, she's one of these women who, 
I remember when I worked at the video store, this mother used to come in and she had those eyes and it was this gorgeous woman. And it's one of these people where you just get lost. It's like yeah. literally like you're in a trance. And Meg Foster has that that thing with her eyes. Yeah, and It's yeah. fucking gorgeous. Yeah, and people thought, because, uh, you know, she wasn't really, she never became like a really famous actress, but people assumed that she had contacts in this movie. Yeah. Um, of course, uh, you know, we also know her from They Live. They Live, yeah. classic, I guess. Well, they, they, they foster foo they all, <laughs> for all those monster vision uh, watchers out there. And then they, they, they suggest, I think that at first they suggested her maybe also wear contacts to offset her eyes. And, yeah, and then yeah. and the director's like, no, 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 that's the whole no, thing like, is her eyes crazy. are perfect. <laughs> like, why would you cover yeah, those things Yeah, why would you cover up? those things up? But they said that her, her costume weighed 45 pounds, and she said she has sustained bruises in her groin because of the breastplate. Yeah, and yeah. and because it was constructed out of fiberglass, she couldn't sit well. Yeah. So she always had to like suck in, and they act, they they kind of enhanced her bust yeah. with it. And she's got a really cool thing going on where it's like she's playing her character like a Lady Macbeth, and she says like in a, in an interview, um, there's a site we should link to because there's like a Masters of the Universe Wikipedia page that has all these interviews with all the the characters uh, that were in it. But she says she was you know she wasn't necessarily like a villainous person. She was just doing her job, and she knows how to get results even if they're harsh. And she's kind of, she's in love and infatuated with her arc as a character. She's infatuated with Skeletor in Lady Macbeth. She's just loyal to him. But then she starts to, she realizes that she comes more in love with the cause, and that's why she's able to betray him near the end. Or, like, I guess true, like, kind of a Lady Macbeth, where she's, you know, she realizes, you know, he's kind of gone insane, so that's why she's able to, like, remove herself, and, you know, it's more about the the revolution. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but she's fabulous in this role. Yeah, you know? yeah. she's great in this. And another yeah. actress, you know, last week, last show, we talked about Adventures of Babysitting, and I proclaimed that you know, longtime crush on Elizabeth Shue. Yes, another actress I've I've often I've always had a little bit of a crush on is uh, Chelsea Field, who plays Tila in this. Yeah, who we gave a shout out to her cameo in Commando. Oh yeah, she got a little cameo in Commando as the flight attendant. He's dead tired, <laughs> and uh, she's in a. Fun Rennie, Rennie Harlan's first, at least first his first American movie with Viggo Mortensen called Prison. She's in that. Oh, yeah, she's yeah, in yeah. Last Boy Scout. She's in The Dark Half by Romero. She's married to Scott. Bakula? And she's married to Scott Bakula. Yeah. And they have and they, they have a couple kids, they right? They have a couple of kids. But yeah. I don't know if that's is that recently maybe that she's married. Uh, yeah, to I think they. I think they were together through the into the. I think they got might have gotten together in the nineties, then they got married. You know, closer to the two thousands. Yeah. Um, and she's great in this too. I think she plays she her part's great, and her um, her father who plays Man at Arms in the movie, uh, John Cipher, great character actors and a lot yeah, of westerns, a lot, a lot of episodic of, a television. Lot of television. Yeah, yeah, he's great, and he's a guy who I never really knew prior to the movie, but he I thought he was always so good in this role. He's almost um, you know, it's it's like it's one of these people who a character actor who just makes it easy. You yeah, know? Uh, I thought he's great in it. Um, you got James Tolkien. Strickland from um, <laughs> yeah, from, from Back to the, Back the Future as well. He's in Top Gun, and he's a he was like a New York actor. I think he's in Prince of the City, playing a cop back in the day. He plays a great role in this too. And uh, uh, you know, we, we said Courtney Cox, but the guy that plays her boyfriend in this movie, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, Star Trek Trekkies will recognize that he plays Tom Paris on Star Trek Voyager. Yeah, he's he had a big uh, a big old career subsequent to this, and. Um, so the basic plot of the movie is that we've learned, we find out that the reason why they're able to, to, to teleport right into the, to Grayskull, and they set up Grayskull as like the uh, at the beginning of the movie, you have Grayskull as like in the 
the attorney is in the middle of the universe and Grayskull is kind of like they wanted to impart that Grayskull was there for good and for evil and they this big throne room that they made which was elaborate they said it was the biggest set kind of made in Hollywood in 40 years up until that time where they had two sound stages that abutted each other they took the doors and walls off and they made it from one end to the other and that's how they were able to have the full scope and then above it was kind of like matte painted uh, they wanted to show in the throne room where on the top you have those big pillars are like gods and the bottom it's like kind of like I guess evil and Grayskull is there f- it represents good and evil and it depends on who's residing or reigning over Grayskull if it's going to be good or evil yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you have Skeletor in there Skeletor he transports in with this this cosmic key that uh, Gwildor made because Gwildor, oh, the a little guy, he's a locksmith like key master kind of a guy. The and key he, master. The key master. <laughs> you are the good thing. I am the, 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 the gatekeeper. Uh, Evil Lynn dressed up, went to him and was like, you make me a key to get us into that place? And he's like, sure I can. <laughs> and that's the plot. And then, it, and so he's, and then, so his plot is that he wanted, he, he, he was able to go in there, kill everybody, and he wants to get He Man there. And, she, they don't realize that there's a second key that yeah, he has, yeah. like a prototype. They think they have, Skeletor and, and Evil and think they have the only key. Yeah. And I think they want to kill him just to make sure just, he yeah, never they, makes another one. Because that's what you do. But you know? there's a prototype. Yeah. It's real dodgy work because you don't, you, that's always, you know, if you're, if you're working, I mean, he's not a dodgy person like, as a key maker, but you think about people who are in those jobs. Whenever you're doing like nefarious work for like a hitman in movies, like yeah, they yeah. always want to kill you because they don't want you to... <laughs> to tell and it's like you know that's it's, yeah, it's a lot of job risk. security it's terrible um but so then you know he man's able to they oh they find because he's he's locked up as well they find him he's like i have a backup and then they're able yeah. to they 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 teleport beam into the to the throne room they're trying to free the sorcerers it doesn't work they have to get out of there they punch something in they escape they grab the key and they end up on earth our yeah earth. yeah but and they just kind of like Put they anything in. Yeah, yeah. They just punch it. Because punch, they're punch punch it, chewy. They punch it and they end up on Earth. So they don't really know where they are when they get there. So because they don't know where they are, they don't know how to get back. Yes. Right away. So Gwildor needs to figure out what he Where did. they are. How but, they, yeah. but somehow in the tra- in, trans- in transporting, they lost track of the key. The key ended up somewhere else. Yeah, because they all land and like horrible, you know, yeah, yeah. around. And, they and end up. so... That's kind of like the gist of it. They're trying to get back. They come across Courtney Cox. Yeah, uh, she works at a place that they that they make called um, it's a chicken like the chicken shack or whatever it's yeah, called. It's yeah. called the Robbie Ribs and Chicken, and they said it was a real location that they found that Stout just redesigned in Lakeview Terrace area. And they evidently say it was the same fast food place later on that the infamous Roddy King beating happened outside of. A couple of years later, yeah, which yeah. is um, for all the Rodney King, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for all the police brutality, aficionados out there, uh, and uh, yeah, I love I love the scene there where they're all hungry. What's his face sees that they're you know he he able to and they they also bring a point up. Uh, the director says that they, since Canon was real strict on the budget, they had no second unit. Usually, you have a second unit doing all like insert shots. So he says he had to. Sh- shoot everything even inserts close-ups he did everything so uh at one point um uh gwildor is hungry he grabs a bucket of chicken with his little uh grappling hook and they're eating and i love the scene where evidently on eternity they're all vegans because when they just they yeah. figure out what it is <laughs> yeah Teal's like, like why do they put it on these little st- yeah, white ribs and it's great man, man i was like yeah it's 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 meat it's the rib bones yeah and she's like oh this is disgusting they put, they're both like spitting it out <laughs> and he doesn't care because he's like the grizzled warrior yeah, yeah. that's real fun and then they um i'm thinking trying to think out we just watched this an hour ago and i'm trying to figure out how 
how uh, the plot gets rolling. But then, well, the, they oh, because they have to activate the key again. Once yeah. Skeletor figures out, once the key Tom, gets activated, Tom Paris character was <laughs> Kevin character of Kevin uh, and Julie Courtney Cox and her yeah. boyfriend they find the key in the cemetery because she's going to visit her parents her parents deceased. died in a plane accident yeah uh so they find the key in the cemetery, and he's he's a musician. He's a keyboard player, so he thinks it's some kind of crazy like Japanese synthesizer. Yeah, like, and it makes it crazy sounds like that. <laughs> so he starts playing the the keys on it, the notes. Yeah, and because they turned it on and they started punching in things, the the Skeletor's key is able to kind, to of, kind of like pinpoint pinpoint it and, and track it, which is kind of interesting because that's how in a lot of movies that's the McGuff. Once they use it, we'll be able to pinpoint. You know, that's yeah. a lot of like Star Trek jargon. <laughs> You know, we can triangulate where they are, you know. So, they, yeah, they turn it on. They don't know what they're doing, but they're able to hit the button and, and get the light show. Yeah. And the light show, when they hit the light show, that's when they're able to... to there to, it is. Yeah. So they send, they a, send a crack team of mercenaries. They use their key to send the mercenaries, which are the guys we talked about, Blade and... Beastman Beast and, and the lizard guy and then the guy who looks like the small... Um, uh, did you say Dio? Or, yeah, or, the guy that say, looks a little bit like a, I was gonna say like, <laughs> a, like an evil Ronnie James Dio. I thought it looked like a real burnt well, William Devane, like you know, long hair, <laughs> just show, you know. And uh, they they send him there, and then the, the, you have this whole sequence where they're at the because they're gonna it's the senior class, and she, her plan she's moving she's to Jersey. Gonna, she's not even gonna go to no. her graduation. She's like, I gotta leave and start start new, and that's the best way I can. Just running away from my problems, and yeah, yeah. and he's like, Will you at least come to my sound check? And she's like, Okay. And then it's one of these. One of these worlds where you talked about Nick Tracy, how they have this elaborate city that no one's around. And this is certainly, yeah. uh, they shot this in, um, I forget the, where, where in California, they, the town they shot this in. But nobody's around in this town. Even when they get, evidently, they're, they're like, the senior dance is going to happen. And, and it's interesting also that the, uh, the theme of the senior dance is fantasy. You know, and, yeah. and he's getting ready there. And the only person there is like the janitor. And he's not even there. And she's like, you know, he's like, I'm going to take this to... The music guy, he'll know how to work this. I'll be back in 15 minutes. And then while he's gone, they yeah. come in and they start fucking shit up. And, and she's like, yeah, I'll just wait here, I guess. Yeah, and just <laughs> hang out and look at stuff and play around. And that, that's, this sequence when I was little was always awesome. You know, they come in, you know, uh, of course, they're trying to kill her. And he's like, wait, don't kill her. And then she gets under the stage. And you know, Beast Man was always, like, real freaky to me. But he, now it's funny when you look at him, he's kind of like very – he looks like a bigger guy. So he's, like, just bumbling, running around. <laughs> And Blade, yeah, yeah. again, it's a testament to how I loved Blade back then. Like, you know, I love the part with the swords. And they yeah. said they made that up, like, on set. Like, hey, we'll have them, like, you know, pushing swords through the, the scarer. And, you know, she throws some ammonia in the blades um, to the beast man's eyes. And she's able to get out of there. And they said they literally almost burned the high school down. Because by the end there, when they run out, that fucking thing is up <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a bonfire. Yeah, yeah. So, they, you know, they're able to get out. She runs hysterical out. And uh, they have to go back. And, no, they, they run to the... To the alleyway. Yeah, he man ends up running and finding her. her. And he's real. Tru- she's real trusting. She's like, "Oh, my friends!" And you know, of course, she's running into this guy who's naked, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With well, a cape. First, she's a little bit like, "Yeah," and he's like, "I'm not gonna hurt you." Yeah, come into my breast and just yeah. comfort. She's like, "Oh, it's the craziest thing <laughs> my happened." Sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you dressed like this? <laughs> it's all right. It's the '80s. I'm, I'm, I'm playing in a band. And then there's a whole other confrontation there where you have He Man fucking some shit up. A little more swordplay, and then you have him fighting Blade, and he's able to like fend everybody back, and they're able to leave. And um, Dolph yeah. starts delivering some. You could tell his accent's prominent here. Yeah, how yeah. he's delivering those lines. Well, they talk about how uh, I think Mattel, someone who somebody had to do with the TV show or the or the either someone from fi- filmation or, or had to do with the 
or the, with the toy line. Some they hated his voice. Oh, yeah, a lot of people. Even the director didn't like it. His he planned to. So he's like, no, you gotta, you gotta dub it. And even well, uh, he Guy had Bedard's, a uh, the director was, Gary Bedard. Yeah, yeah. He was going to. The plan was to then redub his voice, yeah. but because he wasn't, he's like Swedish or something. Yeah, he's Swedish. We we didn't get really into a backstory with him, and I'm sure we do it in the Punisher thing. Yeah. But it's fascinating. He was like a bartender who hooked up with Grace Jones, and became like her bodyguard and trainer, and then she started hooking up with him. He got in movies that way. But he's like a genius. Yeah, you yeah. go Google him. He helped NASA like build a toilet. <laughs> build the space toilets, like the. The the I guess the mathematics or physics around being in a weightless environment and being able to take a dump or piss and yeah, yeah. so like uh, Lundgren Lundgren design helped design so he's like a real genius yeah, yeah. in that extent so go Google him but he had a heavy Swedish ac- accent but he smart enough stipulated in his contract when he signed that he would be allowed three chances to redub his voice yeah. and I guess by those three he was able to get a good enough dub where he, he his accent was acceptable but sometimes you can hear it come out. But it's not as bad as like a Van Damme. Sometimes Van Damme is like, yeah. I saw, I caught Bloodsport over the weekend, which I haven't seen in 20 years. And like, it's the point where, um, what's his face? Forrest Whitaker comes on like, you're going back to the States. He's like, I am not going back to the States. <laughs> yeah, I, I love, don't know what you I said. I love Bloodsport. <laughs> I know, but it's just, Bloodsport's one of my favorite. He's sitting there with the Ogre time. in the airport and he's like, I do Dakota Kai one more time. <laughs> I, I can't, I'm doing like a Schwarzenegger impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, you know, Lundgren shows up, like I said, in the alley, um, Nobody's around, no cops. They're blowing yeah. shit up, fire and all things. They fight the mercenaries. Mercenaries go back, and this is where we say that, um, I was going to say Serpentor. Uh, Skeletor gets really pissed. <laughs> <The> Skeletor- this, <laughs> I command. Who, the guy just passed away uh, um, about a month ago. The, the voice, who was from Get Smart, the voice actor. Good journey. Um, good journey to you. Um, so that's when he offs one of the one of the mercenaries. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, so that's, I mean, that's basically how we get the plot gets yeah. rolling. And so the... The concept is they were trying to get back, but uh, Sepentor, <laughs> Skeletor, they come to Earth uh, to get them. Yeah. Um, and then you got- Well, the, that's what I don't understand. Because you got the police ch- captain. Uh, what's his face? The over guy here. from Back to the Future. Uh, James Tolkien. Tolkien. Yeah. Plays uh, the Detective Lubick. Yeah. He gets interjected he, in the script. Yeah. He, he, all he's doing is investigating the high school arsony, larceny. <laughs> and then he gets, he's like, you know, I think there's more foot here. Let's go. And then that's where he goes to, they take him over to the house where she's at. And they get to this house. They talk about this was an actual house they built for filming. It was a practical house, but the sets were very small. Yeah. So the scenes where they had to like have 20 people barge into the kitchen and fight were like uh, Beast Man's jumping over the, the, the island in the kitchen, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah. they, at that point, they put that, collar on the kid and as a kid I remember that being really freaky that collar because when they put it on him and it alters the kid's voice yeah I lost it. I thought it was so freaky to me. Like, what's yeah, the like collar? A truth collar. Yeah, right? and like, what's the collar doing to him that's making him sound like that? You know what I mean? And uh, that all goes on, and then you know, um, it, it, the, the plot goes around. But there's some weird things like, you know, for some reason at some point, you know, after that first fo- cock up. Uh, Skeletor sends evil Lynn. He's like, you'll go personally. I'm going to talk like the one from the cartoon. <laughs> it's like, because you you suggested who I should kill, so you go. <laughs> so they, he sends him her off. 
But then he decides to come personally, and this never really explained why. Once he gets there, he says, okay, you know what, maybe we can take this world over. But there's no real reason for, like, Skeletor to come, like, you know, freaking, you know, he's coming with like, yeah. all his hood. Yeah, you yeah. know, his posse. He's got a big entourage, yeah. you know, like this giant, like, the floating thing. Floating barge thing. Yeah, it comes, that's a great model they said they use. But, like, there's no real reason why he has to come that third time. He can just have Evil Lynn do everything, get it, and they'll take off. But he's like, I'm coming personally. You he know, comes, I'm lonely. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's rolling deep. Down. Yeah, he's bringing all his homies with him, and he rolls in deep with everybody. He's got the Air Centurions flying around on, like, those early uh, Back to the Future skateboards and stuff like that. Um, and he comes, and and uh, and it's just, it. the plot just goes. You know, it's very quick. I mean, the yeah. movie's only, like, an hour and ten... Uh, Hour forty five minutes maybe or something like that or hour fifty minutes. Yeah, yeah. And it, it rolls and it, it's 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 going it's going it's going and then you know, uh, you know you get something through. happens the key gets broken and they got to fix it and this is where we kind of hinted at earlier uh, in that the the catchy jingle when the but it's, this is where you can talk about Bill Condi is because that's a thing where you have the soundtrack by Bill Condi, but then you, that's always done in post. But then to have the jingle they had to come up with that. Prior yeah, to yeah. production, to have the jingle. Yeah, he has well, to hum sometimes it. you have uh, instances where uh, some kind of melody takes, you know, as part of the plot. Yeah. So, you know, for instance, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah. Like Spielberg, even though it's only a couple of notes, Spielberg and John Williams spent a long time trying to figure out the right configuration. Like, yeah. You know, and uh, so sometimes it becomes. These kinds of things become part of the plot. So Bill Conti, another Rocky, we talked about Michael Westmore. Yeah. Bill Conti did the, the wonderful score for the Rocky movies, and he did Karate Kid, and um, just great, a great composer. He did uh, a very, uh, he did a great. This score is great too. So yeah. Parts of it every time, but there is like a certain, there's like the certain theme. Like every time it's about to start, it starts with like the same note as Superman. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like subconsciously, every every time the theme's about to start, I always feel like. Well, you know. And so I'm always like thinking like, I'm, automatically I hear the. I'm like in my head I hear. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but then it it doesn't end up being that. Uh, one of the early drafts of the script was did by a guy named David Ordell who wrote. Supergirl and the Dark Crystal, but for our purposes here, Canon at the time was rebooting Superman to do Superman Four. Well, not reboot; it was a sequel. Yeah. And I thought of that immediately with the credits in this movie. When you see the the after the little exposition of what um, Attorney is, and they get into the credits, they're very Supermanish to me. Where they're flying in, I feel like they wanted to bring that epic kind of a feel to this movie from as much as they could. And much like Star Wars has the very distinct credits of them coming up. You know, from the bottom the scroll, of the screen to the top yeah. scroll, Superman has where they fly through, where they can they fly away, and I, I, I got that here that you bring up Superman. So it's very much like it was a yeah, presence yeah. of a kind of. A it, Superman. But it is a very. I would love to, and I hear that somebody released the score. Yeah, in two thousand, in in the score was originally released on record cassette and compact disc oh. in eighty seven, and then it was subsequently issued in expanded version by Adele. Not, I guess the company, and then 2008, La La Land Records released a two-disc complete original album, oh, and then yeah. it was released again in 2012. I'm gonna have to look for the La La Land Records. They say uh, Conti says doing this was he didn't conduct it because at the time there was a strike, yeah, in Hollywood or in America, so he had to off 
outsource this to overseas. And he sent bits to other uh, various orchestras overseas in Germany or wherever to do stuff. So he had various takes of the score, and they had him and his, his mixer, Dan Wellen, had to come together, assemble the score. And it was kind of hard because they said that um, each take had different problems each performance had like you know they never had one from the beginning to the end yeah there was some sort of error so they had to like use different you know bits from this uh outsourced orchestra this yeah. person this had person. to edit the perfect take from yeah various uh they said chiefly it was the uh an orchestra in munich that did it but like a lot of Euro- european orchestras uh did it and, and that's interesting that to have outsource it and then come back and then you have to like mix it to like a puzzle put it back together yeah you yeah. know that is interesting. I mean, a lot of lower budget films will go and use f- like foreign orchestras because just for costs. Yeah, yeah, of course. You, know, you can get amazing players in Munich, but the the cost to get it done is a lot cheaper than trying to use, you know, a Hollywood orchestra in like the you know the sound stages here. Yeah. Um, so Bill Conti does a very heroic, you know, kind of epic score. It's good though. I yeah. mean, like you, yeah, know, you no, have that. Yeah, I'd like to, no, get, I'd like to get this record. It's, got, it's it's very. You have that feeling of a Star Wars, like a John Williams or like a Superman. Oh, Conti's you know? great. I yeah. mean, his of course the Rocky thing, but you know, and every when you think of Rocky, you think of Gone to Fly Now, which he did write. But uh, the rest of the score for Rocky is is amazing. I mean, aside from uh, Gone to Fly Now. And his score for Karate Kid is beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it's just, with all the Asian, like, pan flute stuff, and uh, one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite scores, is his score for Karate Kid. So, I mean, Bill Conti's no joke. So when I saw his name in the credits when we were watching it, like, yeah! I was like, oh, yeah, sweet. Like, yeah. this is like, a, he's a heavy hitter. Did he do the um, <laughs> uh, Creed score? I don't, I don't believe he did Creed, okay. but obviously they use some cues. Yeah, because I just saw Creed recently, and there's the the montage. I don't know. We, we talk about this in the Rocky cast we did, because I think you had just saw Creed at that time, but I had a drink, and like halfway through the Creed, I was cr- I'm crying. Oh, I, was a, I saw Creed. In the theater? In your... uh, Thanksgiving 2015? Uh, right? In the theater by myself, yeah. and... I was a mess. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I almost. I mean, Rocky's important to me. So if yeah. you, you know, listen to them, we did Rocky not for this New Year's, but the last New Year's, two thousand fifteen to sixteen. And uh, I mean, I almost started crying just talking about it in the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what happened to me was I knew something was going to happen to Rocky. Yeah, and I yeah. watched it with my wife, and she didn't. Know. Like I almost wish they didn't give that it away. Yeah, because you see that in, in the previews. in the preview, you see him in the hospital. So. I knew something was going to happen, so I literally teared up in the scene before he started to have, when they were in the ring and he started like to fall. Yeah, I was yeah. tearing up because I knew it's 40 minutes in, something's going to, and then in that scene, I was like, oh, so that whole, oh. And then like the scene when the kid's running in slow motion and they kind of do the modernization of his run where they have the kids on the, the mopeds and the, yeah. and the art ATVs. That score, this is why I brought Conti yeah, yeah. up, that seems like something people are going to like listen in their eye. Yeah, it's a the great, rest, like, the, the Creed's workout. a great score, but yeah. I don't think Conti did that, did that uh, score. But, but that's a tour de but force. But they do, there's this great moment in the, in the fight where it's all basically been basically original music throughout the entire thing. And then that like last round when the, when the, the fight becomes like, it's getting down to the wire, they click into the Rockies like fight score. Yeah. And it's like, it's so, it's so powerful, but Conti's amazing. So, uh, I mean, he's a real heavy hitter. So the fact that, um, well, this movie was a much big, bigger budgeted movie than Conan was used to doing. So, uh, 
it was great to, to, to have such talent as Richard Edlund and Michael Westmore and then Bill Conti. So the the key when it opens up to you know get ready to punch in for 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 the portal. Yeah, it plays a melody. Yeah, and that's an ingenious idea that that you can time travel or time through dimensions by yeah, music, like, like sonic tones. Yeah, that oh. opens up the key to that. It really dimension. is actually, you know, like I didn't brilliant. even really think about like how brilliant of an idea you know, that is, that like, this, how powerful. Yeah, he's able to make a, a certain melody melodically would open up a fucking. It's you know, it's like yeah. you know, whatever movie you know, time or dimensional. <laughs> yeah, great. I mean, it is it is kind of a great device. Um, and so the key's broken, and it won't play the melody that it yeah. needs to open the portal. Uh, so they're like, I don't know, you know. They have this big, sh- they have this big standoff at this music store, where because then by the time they hone in on where the key is, Skeletor, he he comes in rolling deep with his dudes. Uh, Evil Lynn's there, and they have this big standoff. And then in the back room, you have Gwildor's there. And he's trying to figure out the key, but I think the key gets fried in that something, fight. Something happens. You know, when the key gets busted. Yeah, because there's a, they, then they have like they have to wire. It's yeah, like a million things this out great the thing. <laughs> right now, the the in that scene, this always scared me as a kid because we established that her mother, her parents, Courtney have been Cox's killed. parents were killed in a, in, in, a, a, in, a, in a plane accident. A plane crash. And we discover that she's blames herself. Yeah, because because they were supposed to take a day trip to the to the beach. And instead, As she do kinda, in California. She just kind of like played hooky. Yeah, and told them that she was going to stay home and study, but she really wanted to hang out with her boyfriend. Yeah, get some nookie. So they decided her dad is a was like an amateur pilot. So they said that the parents were going to fly to Catalina instead. Yeah, and instead of like take the road trip to the beach, and then they ended up having an accident. Yeah, so she's carrying around this baggage, and it's pretty close to. The, whenever the movie takes place because she's a, she's her house is just sold and you know she's leaving and you know so she goes and visits the grave and that's where they find the key so at, at that point in the movie when there's this big battle outside it's pretty funny now when you look at it like she sees her mother out in the alley and yeah. she runs out and no one notices she runs out when yeah, there's well, big fight there's this fist fight and she doesn't even care that her boyfriend's in the fist fight <laughs> with the with, <laughs> with, with 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 uh what's his face um uh, Officer Lubick, yeah. you know they're, they're fighting, grappling. She runs out, and it was such a haunting scene for me when I was little yeah. because it's it's her mom that you saw from the pictures, and she's like, "Hey, you know, we're doing, we're sorry, we're doing secret work. Um, we need that yeah, key. Yeah, we didn't die. Yeah, it's, we're yeah. doing we're doing really secret work, your dad and I. But we need that key. Or can you go get it? And she's like, "Okay." And she runs in, and then that's where it gets a little silly. But as a kid, I com- was completely in it, yeah. and probably maybe in the '80s too, you're into it too because you know you don't need a lot. It, nowadays, you, you know, everything has to be justified and nuanced. Yeah, I mean, it's silly, you know? but it is very... She's taken, like, yeah. you know, with everything that's happening to her in that day. Yeah. Sure, this is, you know, we're having people come from other dimensions. It's completely plausible <laughs> that her parents are survived. And, you know, there's... It's easy to believe in something when you want to believe in it. Of course. Um, Especially when her mom is, is, is there in front of her physically. Yeah. She hugs the mom. Her mom is tangible. It's not like it's just... You know, she's, it's a ghost. Yeah, yeah. So she runs in, grabs the key, she runs it back, and that was always in, um, what's his face, Goddard? The, the Gary? Gary Goddard. Goddard. He talks about, you know, they originally wanted to do like a, an effect scene where you have the mother turn into evil in, but they said, I filmed it this way and it worked a lot better where the reveal through like just, you know, cutting of the camera shows. She goes into the, you know, the actress of her mom gives away in her face that something's not right, 
they go to embrace and then with the over the shoulder the voice changes they come back and it's evil and it's great okay. and i remember when i was little i was like, <gasps> <laughs> like it's only when i was like like foster you know yeah, so i was completely like you know taken and then that's how the the bad guys get the key back they they grab everybody and then there's a great scene where like skeletor comes in with some air, air centurions and you have this weird battle where uh, they're on these flying skateboards, which is something the director came up with himself. He thought it'd be really cool. And Dolph talks about doing the movie. He really kind of bad mouths this movie. And, and yeah, he, yeah. he says it was a nightmare to work. It was hard. He had to be his own stunt double because they couldn't find anybody that, that could be a stuntman that would match his physique. So he had to do all his own stunts. He In, in one hand, he kind of slags the movie off. But in the other hand, when he was promoting The Expendables, says I would, I would sh- surely come back in the reboot to play myself or play a part yeah. in it. But um, so he kind of bowed mouths it where you have like a guy like Franklin Jell's like, yeah, fuck yeah, I did that movie and it was great. Yeah, you yeah. know, he's very he likes it. He thinks Skeletor yeah, is one of his favorites. He says, uh, yeah, exactly. He says out of all the stuff he's done, like Skeletor is one of his favorite roles, probably because of you're able to he he's even quoting like Richard the Third at some point. Like he yeah, says, like, yeah. I'm all out of sympathy with that day. Or I forget what line he says before he kills the, one of the mercenaries. So he's you know, this is this is like his bread and butter. Well, but it's, a, it's an epic villain. Yeah, yeah. As well as you could do. Basically, he can do whatever he wants. He was exploring the role. And I think he really is a great job a lot of the stuff how he's brooding and like you know with the staff he has and all he kind of gets into it with the cloak and you know he said that, that they took a while with um with the with the, the costume designer to find the right material for the cloak to yeah, walk the right he, way he had a very definite nigella had a very definite idea of like how to everything pr- should be yeah and like how he felt like he should look and how everything should move and, and so even like a, a backstory to find the right fabric and the right cut yeah and everything and then like so he was into it. it yeah he I was mean, completely he right into it so dolphin in the other hand kind of slags it off a little bit and then he talks about this sequence here where they they basically put him on a truck and they put the rig where he's supposed to be on these skateboards they kind of strap him in and it's on like kind of like a uh, a rotator so it can kind of move as the skateboard move and they're just driving him down main street like 60 miles an hour and he said it was very dangerous and he did all this stuff himself and he's br- jumping through windows and all that but it's a very cool scene yeah where he's flying around i mean now i mean it's a I lot of when it cuts to like the miniature kind of zooming around yeah you know you know <laughs> or even that big flying thing that skeletor's on when they cut to that miniature it's it's, it's quite impressive but again it's an example of like nobody's around there's no like there's no townspeople the police aren't where the <laughs> hell are the police you know what i mean yeah, you know, yeah. it's like nobody well that's just cost money I, exactly you know i mean that part where like skeleton or evil lynn's landing with that thing outside the can you imagine the neighbors like holy shit what kind of fucking party <laughs> are they have what the hell is going on that's, out that's there. a crazy cake party if i've ever seen one i think we're gonna stay in tonight yeah jesus that since her parents died she's doing some crazy shit now with the with the because it was such so low budget uh what's the name of the company that did the effects boss Boss Hog. Boss Hog <laughs> Productions. Yeah. Uh, but because of... Uh, Canon you know, was real stickler with their freaking money. Yeah, and because, you know, Richard Edlund, who he's, you know, a legend, and, uh, you know, basically they recycled a lot of the miniature buildings and stuff. Yeah. From Blade, Blade Runner. Runner and Ghostbusters. Yeah. Because Richard Edlund did, go, did, go, did Ghostbusters. So uh, instead of, you know, rebuilding stuff, they just kind of swiped some of these old miniature buildings that were sitting around which hey i mean that works you know they also talk about that um where they shot the the town that they shot it in was uh decimated in the earthquake of maybe what 91 or 92 so a lot of the build because they wanted to have like a, a real nice like uh main street america kind of town and they want a lot of brickwork and a lot of like 
of that look that kind of resembles like a Main Street America. And, and a lot of that, all those old buildings were destroyed from the earthquake, the California earthquake and yeah. whatever year that was that affected maybe Oakland or wherever it that was. That was in the early 90s. Yeah, for it was sure, like 90s. It was during the, the World Series. When it, you watch... Because you could see in the World Series when there's like, the, you know, you could see it rumble. When you watch uh, Wes Craven's The New Nightmare, yeah, um, they took advantage of like, you know, locations by having them drive around <laughs> where... Ser- that's what they did? Where there's like, you know, buildings toppled over and stuff. Um, it's It's... I think important to mention too that the, that um, what's his name, uh, Godard or Goldard, the director. He was very cognizant of the idea of m- meshing the fantastic reality with like an Earth reality. Like yeah, he wa- yeah. he liked the idea of juxtaposing these two ideas and them coming crashing together, where we have these portals opening. Or he had a lot more. He said he was only to f- able to film like fifty percent, but he always wanted to juxtapose Eternia with Earth and have a lot of these like, wow, wow, that was happening, but he was only able to get like 50% of what he wanted with Eternia because of the budget restrictions. But he says like at the end of the movie when you said they have to Jimmy rig the key to work. Yeah, so at some point the key gets shot. Probably, yeah, in in this this music scene. And so it won't play. There's a a certain melody that it plays to open the portal and then you play a different melody to put in the coordinates where you're going. Yeah. Uh, because it won't play the original, like the very specific melody on its own. Uh, what's the uh, little guy's name? Gildor's like, well, we can't do it if we don't have the the notes. The key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the notes. And uh, because Kevin is a he's a music guy because he yeah, has a band. He's, he's a musician. He's like, I think I remember it. Yeah. So he runs and gets a keyboard. They hook up the keyboard to the key, and he plays. He's able to play the notes because he remembers them. Yes. Yeah, Going back to the beginning, four hours ago when we started this cast, talking about jingles. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's what we're talking about. That's that. See that? See, it all comes around there. Because um, he remembered, he remembered it. Yeah, and they're able to um, to to get uh, to open the, the the portal, and that's right when like um, uh, Lubick arrives with his guys, and then. I always loved that as a kid. I love the idea of them getting like a 50, they get like a 59 uh, four-door caddy yeah, driving around like a pink Cadillac. And, and then, yeah, Gildor swoops it up. He's like, I fixed it, you know. And it's like, it's like a, you know, it's, it's flying around now. But pink I, Cadillac. Yeah. <laughs> I love the idea at the end, like they cut the caddy in half. Like yeah, yeah. That, you and know. there's like the piece of the building. Yeah, right. all that. They're like in that, and that was evidently a real location, like wherever that was. Yeah. And so that's that's an example of what he was saying, the director of like bringing the two realities together, the fantastic, and then jumping in this reality, have the end there. So they're able to like open the key up, and they have this uh, end uh, battle where they had designed the set. Stout talks about the the production designer where he'd built this elaborate set on purpose to have all these levels because they were supposed to have this elaborate climactic sword fight. Yeah, it's going to be like a, a huge, great sword fight between Skeletor and He Man. Yeah, so he built the set specifically with like it would be a great set to have a sword fight yeah. on because there's ta- there's like platforms, there's stairs, and, you levels, know, and you got different levels for the fight. So that's not all. Not they're not all like standing face to face. It would yeah. be like fighting down. Like, you know, like Earl Flynn would be with like the Robin Hood yeah. and the, the Captain Blood movies. It's all that kind of shit. Or as I would down. say the end of Army of Darkness. <laughs> as you exactly <laughs> up and down. Or Rocketeer. Going, going <laughs> upstairs. Yeah. What's his face is playing the Earl uh, Earl Grey. Uh, Earl Flynn and that. Yeah. Yeah. But so what ends up happening is Neville Sinclair. Neville Sinclair, yeah. Um 
Timothy Dalton. So what ends up happening is uh, they shoot a certain amount of it, but then because Canon, again, is, has such budget restrictions, they actually cut... They stopped in three days before they're done filming. Yeah. Like literally came up and put like their hand in front of the lens. You're like, not okay, shooting anything else. We're yeah. done. Because you're burning. You know, we don't have the money. And he's like, what the fuck? I don't have an ending. I don't have the climactic that he has up until the two of them like clash swords. So you have like Skeletor gets the second key. He brings in that, that whip, which I guess everybody loves to this day. And I remember that being, like, fucked up. He had that, like, laser whip. Yeah, yeah. And he's whipping, kneel to me. Kneel <laughs> before Zod. <laughs> yeah, Zod. Who is this son of Kal-El? Uh, <clears throat> and he's whipping him, and then he finally turns into, like, the, 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 the Skeletor god with that huge, like, almost, it looks like a um, an Indian Hindu god on his yeah, head. Yeah, and, uh, gold outfit. Yeah, and then he... And then he uh, when when He Man breaks out of that and there's this huge they they start the huge fight, He Man's supposed to run up and then they, they hit swords and they're supposed to have this huge battle. But then that's literally when they ran out. So the director talks about he's like you know let me get this last shot, and he explains I need you. They were using uh, 65 millimeter special effect cameras to get these matte paintings to get all the mats of like grayscale in the background or or superimposing you know matte paintings on. So they get the picture of the two of them clashing sores and he said right then he had th- them turn the house lights down because he knew if he needed to do this which he needed to that he, he had an idea later on and when his idea was later that night he said he used part of his uh, his salary he got like freaking uh, the DP with yeah. the lighting designer with Dolph Lundgren and then Blade what's his face the longest yeah uh, as a body double for Skeletor to go in and they used the color wheel with some l- uh, backlight flashing around they then they in his idea was i guess when they two hit swords it was so powerful they added an effect shot that like it drained all the power out of the area in the room and they yeah. get into like this black this this like yeah phantom zone and then that's how they able to have the fight which well, is great but it's a it's a great way to get out of a budgetary restriction well yeah well i mean it's you know that's the you know you need filmmaking especially low budget filmmaking there's a lot of obstacles and that's like that's the artistry and what's your what's your uh, yeah what's your uh, your motto you said about oh that? how uh, restrictions and obstacles you know breed creativity like you have Genius. to figure out a way to solve these problems because you know uh, Gollum and Globus you know they don't care about quality they're, right? they're like you know what the movie's done now like, yeah fuck it like this is where it ends yeah and Godard or God- Godard is like. No, like we don't have an ending. Yeah, we need to have that. We have a sword fight. <laughs> like we need you to can't have... end it this way. Yeah, like th- there's no ending yet. So he, like you said, he goes. He very stripped down crew and just a couple of people go and they shoot this ending. And you know, but it was riddled with these kinds of problems. Like there were days when like the union crew. They had they weren't getting they hadn't been gotten they hadn't gotten paid. Yeah, and they were gonna have like a rebellion and yeah, and they were just like, like you know what we're just gonna leave. Yeah, and that's like I in a lot of smaller budget we have you know our friend Randy Jurgensen in the interviews we did with him where he talks about that where like a lot of times with those guerrilla filmmaking, this is certainly his stuff was a lot smaller but it'd be problems with like he'd have to get on a desk and tell the crew listen you know I'm gonna get you paid but just believe in the project we'll get the funding yeah. and that was the stuff. Uh, Godard was uh, G- Godard was saying here where he's like look you guys have come in today let's just like you're do already here yeah let's do the pl- what we had planned for the day and we'll send my assistant over and I promise you by the end of the day we'll have money to get the checks clear through you'll get paid yeah, yeah. and that ended up working but that's so stressful you know like we said sitting up his problem you have Mattel falling apart on his right on his left you have freaking uh, Cannon falling apart not wanting to pay and that was another thing too where 
Mattel puts up the the idea of the initial movie was Mattel would put up fifty percent of the budget, and then Canon would put up fifty percent of the budget. So Mattel puts up fifty percent of the budget, and then when it's Canon's turn to put up fifty percent of the budget, yeah. they're like, "Fuck you, we're not gonna." <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "If you want this movie to be finished and you to make money for your toys, you put up the other half." So. I guess Mattel then puts up the other half of yeah. the money. So, I mean, that, I don't know if that was because of they were running out of money or that was their entire uh, Gollum and Globus. That was their entire... Well, that's the thing. is like Gollum and Globus had always like vowed not to make a movie for more than like four million bucks yeah. or something like and that. Yeah, and this turns out to be their most expensive movie they ever did. It ter- they, the budget was 17 and they increased it to 22 million. So yeah. it was their most expensive film. So this film. was like they went against their mantra to make this big yeah. like, epic thing because they thought but it even would be 17 million bucks you know back then dollars was expensive it's a lot of money but it's still because the average know. money the average movie is seven to eight million like the you know you're not talking i guess big budget big yeah, big yeah. big budget movies and then they ended movies. up doing it again with superman 4 yeah at the same time when that's that's another reason why to go watch that electric boogaloo documentary because they talk about like they wanted to look just as good as the original superman movies but then they don't have the budget and they're like well all your flying shit's going to look terrible then. And they're like, well, you could do it anyway. And, it, and, and it's another <laughs> yeah, example yeah. where it's like the 83 version of Hercules with Lou Ferrigno. That's a movie I hadn't thought of like 40 years. And then we put it up this week on, or a couple weeks ago on the site. And it's like, you look at stills of that movie where it's like the shittiest freaking matte, you know, it's like, it's like, yeah. it's like test stuff you would have done in a student film if you had like Ray Harryhausen. Do. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, yeah. so it's like the, the stuff they got away with canon so here it's like they weren't even you know so at the end of it they didn't even have they were able to do the sword fight but they didn't even have the shots of the demise of Skeletor because originally Skeletor was supposed to fall out of that back window behind the um, the throne and they couldn't even get that so basically they were able to get the shots where like Superman's sword almost falls he catches it and like pushes Skeletor over and they also talk about Blade's fate the guy I love they said in the final battle in in the Grayskull website that he says he's knocked into the bottomless pit in, as well in the throne and that's his demise as well. Yeah, yeah. But um, and they kind of wrap it all up and it becomes like they said uh, the director said it's kind of like his homage to the Wizard of Oz, where at the very end it's like everybody gets what they want. Um, what's his face? Uh, Gwildor has like braids in his hair like the Cowardly Lion. Yeah. Uh, Lupus is like I'm gonna stay here because it's better. Why would he want to go back to yeah, Earth yeah. and Eternia when he's got bra? He's like, what are you <laughs> I go fuck whoever I want. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I don't care. Anything. Anything, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I guess in an alternate ending, um, they talk about, too, that uh, the, the Julie and Kevin were going to stay and not go back to Earth. Yeah. You know, but they ended up not. They ended up opting to have the ending where they send them back to Earth. Yeah, Gwildor kind of has like, you know, well, if you don't send you anywhere, could even send you to a different time. Wink, wink. <laughs> and so send... Uh, Send it back, and we have Courtney Cox wakes up in yeah. bed in like the most atrocious <laughs> nightgown, yeah, ever. And she goes down, and it's the morning of the day that her parents are going to fly to Catalina. And she'd already told them that she was taking a sick day, and they're getting ready to fly away. Yeah, yeah. So she has a way to write that. Yeah, one. she's like coming to the beach, and like no, so he ends up stealing the keys. She runs outside, and then. Kevin's running down the street. He's like, hey, did you get her keys? Don't let your parents go. And he's like, she's like, oh, it wasn't a dream you remember too? And they have this like moment where it's like, oh, it's lovely. Yeah, she's running outside in this nightgown. <laughs> yeah, this really long ass n- weird nightgown. And um, um, yeah, she ends up being a brat and stealing the keys, uh, you know, for right, for good reason. Yeah. And uh, 
prevents her parents from. He's like, you know what? We'll just take the spare keys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she runs out. You see her parents drive by. Yeah, we have the other keys. <laughs> see you later. We took your mom's car. Yeah, we're, you know, don't worry. So and then that kind of how the movie ends. We go to the credits, and then like I hinted at the beginning of the movie, at the end, uh, at the beginning of the podcast four hours ago, is at the end of the movie you have after this you have Skelter come out of a, yeah. a, a um. A vat, and s- they say some prince of this or addition say he's green at this point, which I never seen. Yeah. And he says, "I'll be back." And I never I'll thought, yeah, I never thought into this viewing. Do you think it's a? I don't know if it's a Terminator reference because that was huge in the eighties. That I'll be back. Yeah, yeah. But I never thought of that until now. That oh, you know, Schwarzenegger does say that in the eighties. We did add an alternate ending in the comic book adaptation. Oh, the so the the alternate ending in the comic book adaptation is in the in the final battle scene. Um, you have uh, Man at Arms comes out with. Um, from like the bowels of <laughs> he, yeah, he comes with the depths of Grayskull and he's carrying a NASA and USA flag, and uh, the flag it's it says Starfinder Five, July tenth, twenty two twenty one, written on it, and it's supposed to reveal that like the first human dis- the humans on Eternia were actually future American Americans on a space mission. Yeah, yeah. So it's supposed to be you know that's how they're linking, and that was the that's the ending that I guess is in the comic book adaptation of it. We have a couple, since we're big uh, novelization fans, there is a couple stuff that were written for the, for the script, but then they never put into the, to the film where there's an alternate uh, introduction for Tila where she's like held captive in a dungeon in Sink Mountain, and she helps sca- sev- several people who were in prison to escape, and that's put in the novelization. And then there's another thing that also is, is in the novelization, which we always love that we say that, like, you know, that there's always fun stuff that yeah. shows up is in the novelization. Is there a novelization for this one, Yeah, though? they say there's a novelization uh, for this because that's where this stuff is coming in. Uh, there's all, there's another thing, too, that I, I have, have to the, get that from yeah. the collection. Um, th- yeah, th- th- with the the official movie, it was used in the novelization. So that part is in the novelization. The introduction to Tila is in the novelization. And then there is a... Um, scene that was not filmed that was where uh kevin he goes to a pizzeria testing the cosmic key and when he pushes buttons the keys plays music in the in the uh, and the pizzas behind him start floating in the air and with with when the musical melody stops playing the pizzas fall and the cups and plates all crash and kevin says that that's radical and he said the this scene was not filmed but it was used in the novelization and it's in mich- it's mentioned the official movie and poster magazine that that mm-hmm. happened. So there must be a, um, a novelization for this. Um, lastly, maybe the poster magazine is what I had when I was talking about where I got Oh, yeah, you poster. open it up and all that. That, that very well could be what you, what you ended up happening or ended up having. Uh, they say there's this really funny thing where um, uh, Met- Mattel comes in in like the, like the last days of shooting, and Mattel's like, we had this He-Man contest. And uh, we had this kid win this He-Man contest. And the contest was, if you win this contest, the kid appears in the movie. <laughs> and uh, what's his face? The director's like, what are you fucking talking about? And they're like, <laughs> we're contractually obligated that you have to have this freaking kid show up in the, uh, in the movie. And he's like, w- really? And then, you know, they're at the point now where they're at the end where they brought He-Man back and he's yeah, in yeah. prison. They're about to whip him. So they're like, how the hell are we going to fit this freaking kid in the movie? So what they end up doing is they, um, they, have this, they said they rushed this kid in. 
He said, I don't know. He said, I don't know who, uh, where this kid is now. Uh, I have the, his name somewhere. But they rush this kid in. They put him in makeup really quickly, and they make him the pig boy. Yeah. So that's why you have, when, when they all get back from Earth, Skeletor walks up, and they cut to this little pig boy holding Skeletor's staff, and Skeletor's like, <laughs> <laughs> So it's like this little eight-year-old kid who, um, his name was Richard uh, uh, Esponer, and he features his pig, pig boy, and he hands the Skeletor the staff. So it's really funny where it's one of these contractual things, um, which is, I think, hilarious. I heard, we talked about, Godar getting he was disappointed about this is where we talk about stuff that's a little dodgy on the internet because you know Dolph Lundgren was already signed on to this movie and it, 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 I heard that uh, Godar was disappointed because he he was trying to s- secure Matthew Modine as the role of He-Man and that to me is the most unlogical because you think of Matthew Modine at the time being like in Full Metal Jacket he's just like he's like a shaggy yeah yeah he's a, you know it's like how would you why would you pick Matthew Modine you know yeah, that, that would be that would be the bizarre you know and it's not out of the realm of possibility because as we just did Adventures in Babysitting last week you'd look at the transformation of uh, Vincent D'Onofrio but it's yeah, like yeah. that would be insane to have Matthew Modine be, be like a beefed up you know play He-Man yeah yeah um, now uh, I think couple things we also hinted at something else at the beginning so we want to make sure we deliver the goods uh we don't tease something and then not deliver it basically the idea that they spent so much money on master universe and superman 4 we talked about that they were then going to use those the profits of those movies to make spider-man yeah um now unfortunately both movies didn't do that well no they ended up they ended up flopping and uh it ended up killing Mattel's toy, toy lines. Um, sales had no effect on the sales, so they discontinued the sales and uh, the toy line in early 1988. And then by 89, Canon Films, because of financial troubles, they couldn't pay the licensing fees. They wanted to do a sequel to They were He-Man, going to do a sequel. But then Mattel, they couldn't pay the, the Mattel licensing fees for the toys, so they had to nix the sequel that they had already put in pre-production. And they, like you said, they were going to use these two, the two profits from both these movies to make a Spider-Man movie, which they had already put into to production with uh, Albert Blyne, Blun. Well, originally, it was always said as being like the Joseph Zito who comes up a lot. He did uh, Maniac. Uh, invasion. Well, he's, he's, ins- insp- he's the ins- he, his name is the inspiration yeah. for Maniac's name. But Invasion, he, uh, invasion but he, USA. He directed Invasion USA, and he also directed uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street Four maybe three or four, and he did Prowler. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so he was a big canon guy, and uh, he did he, a couple uh, Norris movies. He did like you know, uh, yeah, a couple. Of those. He did Missing in Action. Yeah, um, or one at least one of them. He did the better Missing in Action. I think it yeah, was. Yeah. He did the one that they were originally going to have slated as the second one, but then the first one was so bad when they were filming them back yeah. to back, they switched them. Yeah, and the second exactly. one became the first one, so that they wouldn't kill the franchise before they even got to the second one. So originally Zito was going to do it, but then the bu- after these movies kind of like flopped, the budget went from being you know tens of millions of dollars to being like five million dollars, and the Zito who had been working on it, pre-production, working on a script, had the. <laughs> so they got to like, yeah. Now you're go- you're going to be like a four million dollar budget. And he was like, I can't make this movie for four million dollars. Yeah, how do you even do that? So he just drops out, and then they hired this uh, other young guy, this uh, young guy, uh, Albert. I would. He's Asian, so I imagine something like Payun. Oh, okay. That adds a lot to the old <laughs> idea. I, I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm taking a stab at the dark yeah. here. Um, and he's gonna. So he was going to direct. Uh, 
Spider-Man. And then when that project completely fell apart, he was going to direct, to my understanding, he was going to direct the He-Man sequel. I think for, 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 for a moment, he was going to do both. Yeah. He oh, he wanted them, to shoot them like back to back. Yeah, he right? was going to use the, the D'Lo De Laurentiis studios in, down in North Carolina that they had acquired to do Superman, to do Spider-Man, and then do Masters Universe 2. And they uh, they had made a budget for Masters Universe 2 for $4.5 million. And Mattel Company also given approval for the characters that would be in the film. And since, uh, what's his face? Dolph Lundgren was shooting Red Scorpion at the time. They asked him on set, would you want to do the, reprise your role? And he said no. So they had the idea of casting surfer uh, Lard John Hamilton as He-Man. And this gets into really weird waters with the, with the, with the sequel He-Man because the name of the movie is called... Uh, he-Man Two. Well, it was like they was the it was like the working title. Master of the Universe Two, and then Colin Cyborg. And the the basic idea they were gonna have She-Ra show up and Trapjaw show up, and He-Man was gonna come back, and he was gonna be disguised on Earth as a professional quarterback, which is very Flash Gordon, very Flash Gordon. And then also it was gonna be a very weird thing where it's gonna be a uh, a Skeletor had come out of the bog returned to Earth, and he left Earth in a, in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And uh, he was going to be hidden also as a... as a There's a, there's a thing where he was going to be an evil industrialist. Um, his, and they had a name for him and everything like that. And he was going to... I guess... So he was going to have to hide his identity because you can't walk around as... As, as, uh, <laughs> as, like as, Skeletor. as Skeletor dressed up like that. And um, that kind of fell through. Because they, you know, they so they built sets, they built costumes, and uh, they they had a working title as well as a script. But then, oh, his name was going to be—he was going to be disguise himself as an evil industrial industrialist known as Alan Dark, and he destroyed most of the world. And that's why Heman would come back to try to to stop him. So I don't know why he would come back hidden as a quarterback in a post-apocalyptic <laughs> world. You know? Yeah, or unless it was it's very going ca- back in time, maybe. But it's funny, it's very canon. You're right, maybe it's like a Back to the Future 2 plot, yeah, yeah. where it's like, you know, he's he's in the post, so he's going to use the key to go back to stop, um, what's his name, Aaron Dark. Yeah. So well, anyway, so this doesn't end up happening. No, but they're like, fuck, we have spent in half ca- the money. In canon fashion. In the brilliance. Like, why waste <laughs> sets, sets and, and For costumes. Spider-Man and, yeah, for this. Yeah, so what they end up doing is this, they use those for a Van Damme movie yeah. called Cyborg. Which I saw in the theater. <laughs> Only time I've ever seen it. Which was directed by Albert Payun. Yeah, and it's really weird. That was the night where me and my best friend and my dad went, and uh, we were going to go see Disorganized Crime. And we got to the theater, and my dad and my friend were like, we don't want to see Disorganized Crime. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? So we went to see <laughs> Cyborg instead. And I remember it being a great movie. I really enjoyed it yeah. at the time. So it's so odd to think that Van Damme at the time, he's just coming out, he was in Breaking as a background dancer, dancing yeah. on the Venice Beach. Then he did another movie before Bloodsport. Yeah, and, and they said that he guy. was uh, he was hanging out in Cannon's like uh, lobby for days, waiting for one of the 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 um, what's his face uh, Globus and Gollum to come by. Yeah, yeah. And one day when he f- saw him, he ran up and did like a, a like a roundhouse kick and matched it perfectly within inches of the guy's face. And then the guy's like, "You're going to be in the movie next week." But he also had that stint as playing the Predator and yeah, in, in '87 he played the he played he um, what's his name. Finish. Anthony Michael Hall? No, not Anthony Michael Hall. What's what's the the predator's name? Something Hall. Oh, uh, yeah. The tall remember. gentleman who ended up who also played in Harry and the Hendersons. We talk about him in the Harry and Hendersons cast. But 
before we get into character, uh, the Predator. Yeah. In 86, he was in No Retreat, No Surrender. In yeah. 88, he was in Bloodsport. So that's when he hits his cannon thing, but he does Cyborg. So then and Cyborg, they end up making Cyborg with, with Van Damme. And uh, soon after that, cannon kind of falls apart. And, um, you know, like we said, 89, they shoot. Punisher. Yeah. They but also did, didn't they also do that Captain America movie? They did Captain America, which is what, 90? I thought Maybe. even. Yeah. You know, but what happens with Punisher is Punisher ends up, we talked about, in our, that's our debut cast, is um, by the time they go to they go to put it out, Canon folded so they have no distri- distribution. Yeah. So they have to, they, they're able to release it theatrically overseas, but they're not able to re- release it theatrically here in America, and that's why it shows up in 1990 on video. Yeah, and kind of like snuck under the radar because Cannon folded by that time because and of I don't they mismanaged that, their money. I don't think that Captain America movie got a theatrical. No, that went either. straight to DVD too. Even though I think there were posters and shit for it, like there was plan. It was there was a planned theatrical release for that. Can you imagine if which they, I just watched for the first time like two weeks ago. You watched Captain America without yeah. me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll be watching it when we do. You when son we, of a bitch. We'll be talking about it. Um, th- that was. Can I had always seen parts of it, but I didn't yeah, see its entirety. When, when I was a kid in the early 90s, I used to play it on TV all the time. So I used to see that climactic battle where like Red Skull is Italian all of a sudden. <laughs> and they're like, he's so like, what are you doing? Yeah, he's like, what are you doing? I'm a Red Skull over here and you're a Captain America. Buongiorno. And then they, they fight like on his villa at the end, like in Capri or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But probably now when you watch it, it's probably just like California somewhere yeah, or Florida. Probably. You know, it's like some state. They're probably using Harold Lloyd's estate from command now again. <laughs> But um, can you imagine the alternate r- universe where, like, canon was a- be successful and, th- and if Superman 4 was a huge success, yeah. Master Universe was, in fact, the next Star Wars of the 80s, and because of those skyrocketing profits, they yeah, were able Spider-Man. to put out a Spider-Man, and they had, uh, who were, they said somebody, I forget who they said was slated to play Spider-Man, they had somebody that was going to play him, and it was really, like, they, like, they were, really, like, not, not Chuck Norris, but they had somebody, like... There was always talk about Dudikoff, but I don't know if that was like they were jo- uh, if that's a joke or not. Oh, that's another one we forgot to mention that he that they did they kind of did all the American Ninja fame and all that kind of a thing. Uh, that was yeah. all because of Dudikoff. So I think we covered all the basics uh, the basics here with everything like that. Like um, with the sequel, that that was surprising to me. I had no idea before going to this podcast that I mean I guess if you're um, a um, uh, as they call it an M O T U head. That you would know about that, but I had no idea that that was the actual. I never, you know, I was reading something online, and, and they were like, th- it was like, thankfully, you know, everybody's so jaded, you know, everybody's like mean spirited. Well, jaded. that's the thing about, and this thing was like, they were like, thankfully, <coughs> universe and Masters of the Universe and Superman flopped, or else we would have gotten a canon Spider-Man. Like saying, like a canon Spider-Man would have been so awful. I'm fucking. I'm I would have been. I would have. I love Spider-Man. Yeah, and I would have been so fucking. Whether it was good or not, I would have been so. Can you psyched imagine an eighty, like an eighty-nine? That would have rivaled. That would have came out right around Batman. And can you imagine an R-rated canon Spider-Man? I mean, you, you. I'm sure you'd have titties in it. You know, I'm they sure they talk about be, like Gollum Glows had no idea what Spider-Man was. Yeah, they just figured it was a guy that turns into a sp- like like a, like a were spider. You know, like he turns into it. Yeah, it turns into like a. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I think that would have been something you you would never see nowadays. That Zito's a cool director. Like had Zito done it, yeah, and you know they probably would have shot it in New York. This guy Payun's, you know, Cyborg's great. Yeah. Um, it, it begot a sequel, I think. But even. had like the had the money, and then Zito directed it. I would have, I would have liked to seen that movie. Personally. Yeah, I would have loved to seen that to see how that went. I wonder if there's probably laying around somewhere, or like you know, with the with the pre production stuff. That's a GoFundMe. 
make a documentary on what Canon would have done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so Master Universe, it, like we said, it's touted by Canon to be the, the the next Star Wars of the '80s, but it comes out, you know, uh, despite the, the the success of the toy line of the animated series, it comes out as the third highest grossing film of the weekend in August the seventh, eighty seven, behind uh, Stakeout and nice. Living Daylights. And uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but even you, though the Bond, even though the Tilly Dalton Bond movies are not held up in that high of regard compared to the rest of the Bond movies, and can't still, open the same weekend. Still, to come open to open up against Bond would be tough. It's tough as an established character. So it it it, it opens third, only grossing uh, four million eight hundred eighty three thousand. But then uh, it slowly fades away, or quickly fades away off the charts, and it ends up only grossing in North America. Seventeen thousand three hundred thirty-six dollars. So and like the reviews were awful. Yeah, Critics and pan, like really panned it. That's where we get to like the, the legacy of it is that it that that it's a it's considered a flop. The Star Trek for the Quest for Peace is considered a flop, and their other movie in this this tire or this merit at the time, Life Force, uh, canon movie is considered a flop at the time. You said Star Trek. I'm sorry, Star Superman. <laughs> sorry, Superman. I was like Star, Star Trek Four was not a flop. <laughs> so, uh, Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, Life Force, and this. Yeah, and yeah. Life Force is a movie I haven't watched since I watched it with you when we got that blue. Oh my god, I love Life Force. I know. So that's something I'm sure we're gonna get to in the podcast. But that's so zany. It's Toby like Toby Hooper had a deal with Canon, a three picture deal with Canon. He yeah. did Texas Chainsaw Massacre Two. Yeah. <laughs> Life Force yeah. and Invaders from Mars. And Invaders from Mars is a movie I love that's not available. I don't think it's in that order. But. It, no, it, it was uh, Texas 2, Invaders from Mars, like 85, and then uh, Life Force is 87. And Invaders from Mars is something I don't think is available on DVD, but it's on. It came out on Blu-ray within the last year or two. Okay, because I know it's on Netflix Instant. You can watch it. And I'm such a huge fan of the original movie. When I was little... I remember seeing that movie right when it came out. And that scared the shit out. It's a, that's a real fucked up movie. And um, I'd love to see that now, how different... Because that's another thing that they were mad at Toby Hooper for. They didn't like what he did, the, the Golan and Globus, uh, with the idea of yeah. the effects and, the, and how they treated the property versus the original. Well, also, in, in my in my book, Scored to Death, uh, I talked to Christopher Young, who basically... He's known for orchestral scores. Yeah. And every, every time he says, he always says, like, Hellraiser, and then he did Hellraiser, and then he did a movie called Jennifer 8. And his joke, oh, I love Jennifer 8. And then he does, he has a joke that said, and after I did Jennifer 8, everybody, everybody wanted me to do Jennifer 9, Jennifer 10. <laughs> you know, they just wanted him to recycle the same stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he, but he gets Invaders from Mars, uh, Canon, and I think Hooper and everybody, they're like, you know what, just go fucking crazy. Like, go, he, he always wanted to do like synthesizers and do like really abstract stuff. Yeah. And they're like, go crazy. And he, they did it. He did it. And then they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So they scrapped all of it. Yeah. And I think he wrote a few orchestral scores for it. And then they had a synth guy come in and do the synth stuff for it. But there has been soundtrack. There's been a release of the soundtrack since, since that has some of his original, like really abstract, like avant-garde synth stuff that's not in the movie that got thrown away. But he talks about how it was, it was he was crushed. By yeah, it. so that's like, terrible. You know, like Cooper. Yeah, apparently he they he you know he got trashed for it for what he did. Yeah, Chris got trashed for what he did for it. And so that third picture they end up doing Life Force is a, is a failure too. So that kind of seals the fate for Canon, and Canon kind of goes under. 
I love Life Force, but I can't imagine that anybody thought that movie was going to make money. Like, well, it's so it, weird. It's, it's such so, a strange. Like it's so. It starts off as a space movie, but it's then a it big. Into it's a, a pretty big film. The yeah, the amazing. The, the budget. And the, the end is like that big. Like, oh, they're in England and like like they're like in um uh, fucking apocalypse. Is not, you know like yeah they're like doomsday in, is coming. They're not in Trafalgar Square. They're like in um uh, which is called the circuits. Uh, cir- but it's like it's the end of the world in that last scene. Uh, that movie, we're, we're, we'll get to that movie yeah. at some point. It's insanity, and all the all the the, the practical effects of like the the aliens and zombies. It's all yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's really, Patrick Real Stewart's in yeah, Patrick Stewart's in there as a nut. So it's it's all, a lot of great stuff with titties everywhere. It's again. got a woman naked for like she, the first. Half and she hour can't act evidently because they thought she was so dreamy, but she can't act her way of a paper bag. They said so. It's like they were hard giving her lines. So this spelled the end for Canon, sadly. And this movie, I don't think it deserves. A lot of the blowback it gets, Master of the Universe. I'm talking about, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, for what it is, it's it's an adaptation. It's I think it's a pretty good adaptation. What else can you do with the budget you have, the company you have? One thing, if you had like Warner or Paramount doing this at the time, but to have Canon doing a a a, a, a serious, mind you, adaptation, yeah. not like a tongue-in-cheek adaptation of uh, of a toy franchise like Master of the Universe. What else can you do? Yeah, they, yeah. you know, the, with the cards they were dealt, I thought that's the best. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I don't think anybody could argue that this is not a flawed picture. Of course. But I think a most, if not all, the flaws can be. You can look past them. Yeah. And I think a lot of our listeners and, you know, people that are of our age that have uh, nostalgia for 1987, I think, you know, I think this, I think for the most part, I bet you this movie has a pretty big cult following yeah like and cult. i'm sure for the for the mass universe people you know that oh, yeah uh, i mean that, you know this is probably a, a great thing for them and i forgot this is the 30th anniversary it's a, this is the second this yeah, year yeah we did we did we used the 30th so we're gonna have a lot of 30th this year <laughs> we're gonna be hitting 87 and yeah maybe even some 77 yeah yeah all year uh and probably some 25s maybe too but yeah, yeah. yeah so i i mean this is not as i mean i know it it, it Flop, but I don't think it's as oh, bad yeah, as people I mean, say. Look, I mean, you know, what do you want for nothing? It's a sleepover. It's this is sleepover movie right here. This yeah, is this like is you rent this baby. And you know what? It did its job. 88, 89. Like you said, it did its job because when we saw it, I remember freaking loving it. You remember freaking loving yeah, it. Yeah. So for the for the demographic, it was kind of put to to sell more toys. I think it did great. Yeah. And it's sad that it fell in that period because G.I. Joe was falling at that time too G.I. Yeah. Joe the movie came out in 87 after Transformers in 86 and that really didn't do well that didn't go straight to movies be- you know th- that didn't have a theatrical release yeah. so and you know by 88 you're thinking about like Batman and stuff and you know Indiana Jones is on the scene and Ninja Turtles soon so this kind of like it, I don't think it it's was like the cr- passing of the baton here or the crossing yeah. of the guard I don't think it was you know, it wasn't, was a, it was a transitional year it certainly isn't the movie's fault yeah, that yeah. Th- that the franchise flopped. The franchise was already flopping, and you know, I guess this could have saved the franchise had it been received differently. But they did what they could, and I think it still, you know, it holds up for you know, for the most part. Yeah, and it's, it's just like Gary Goddard. He didn't really. He doesn't have a lot of film credits, but he is the creator of Captain Power. Yes, which I'm sure we'll get to. Because <laughs> I mean, Captain Power. Which both of us to, have a fondness for. Yeah, and that's what eighty nine. One or of so. the creators, anyway. Yeah, so I mean, that's something we'll we'll get to. That was a phenomenon that came and went as quick as it came. It went, and it's just that it's just literally amazing. I've talked about that before. My affinity for that, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the blue. So we'll talk about that. 
But so, uh, I don't know what any recommendations. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Well, we had said that maybe f- you know going forward we would recommend all stuff we've already done previous episodes to try to. Oh, but movies or the cast? <laughs> the cast. So and the movies. Oh well, the movies. I don't know if we were to recommend. Uh, you can do with. You can do probably if you want to do canon. You could probably do Invasion USA. That's yeah. canon. Then you can do per- Punisher. Yeah, Punisher would be a good one because you got the longer and you know? canon thing. It's one of our. It's our. It's our first cast. Yeah, it's our maiden voyage. I also think it's a good. Uh, Dolph Lundgren double feature. <laughs> yeah, you got that Dolph doubled feature, but also like uh, some of the adventure stuff. Like I think this and maybe Last Starfighter would be a fun one. Yeah, that would be cool. Because that's like, yeah. So because you, you got the the space, you know, <laughs> you got the holographic. Yeah, you know, the guy talking, thing. the floating <laughs> head thing, and uh, we have a couple fantasy ones. I'm sure that that you know, I mean, you can go out there and say like this and Maniac <laughs> or something. <laughs> you should watch this one and uh, freaking uh, Remo Williams. Yeah, Remo Williams. The adventure continues. Flash begins. The Flash TV. Yeah. So there's a lot of yeah. Probably Punisher. And maybe you're right, Flight of the, not Flight of the Navigator, Last Starfighter or yeah, yeah. something like maybe Batman. I mean, you could do. Yeah, true. You maybe can do like stuff. if you do adaptations, you could probably do Batman, this, and either Dick Tracy or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Maybe even Turtles Rocketeer would be a good one. But I think Batman, this, and Turtles will be good. Or trans. You want to do '80s? Do Transformers, GI Joe, and this. That's true. You, you know that the cr- two animated movies, and then you do this one. Yeah. You know, That's so there you go. That's that, the you, have, you, have, you have multiple ones there. You can do Batman, this, and uh, what did we say? Dick Tracy? No, Turtles. Or you do G.I. Joe Transformers and this. A lot of, lot of time there to you watch. Go. So thank you very much. We've had a blast doing this. We uh, hope we've. Rating? Oh, wow. Geez, rating. That's a good point. I'd say three out of five. I'd go through Sleepover three Stars. Three and a half. Maybe yeah. even four. Yeah, I mean, it's. Four, like, you know, not movie wise, but for Sleepover. It's accomplishing Appeal. what it was supposed to. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, what do you want for nothing, right? You know, take me back yeah. to 88 and show me this in the video store. Yeah, um, you're renting it all day. <laughs> all day, <laughs> motherfucker. Get all this day. baby three-day rental yeah, all weekend, I'll kid. I'll take that shit, motherfucker. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's all solid performances. Courtney Cox, first role. She's got a career ahead of her, I think. She's really coming out of her box. <laughs> you know, someone should look into what she does a little later on. Dolph, he's going places, too. Great stuff. Yeah. So uh, check us out online. We got Facebook. We got Twitter. We got all the different places like iTunes. You can get the cast. Um, you we have now own Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers dot com. Yep. Uh, so in case you forget the original. Saturday yeah. You just Night type in if you go to Google dot com. You, you know? go to you go to Google. Type in Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. You'll find us. Don't worry about it. And on and on Facebook and on Twitter, you find us. You'll find us yeah. quickly. Twitter. Uh, Facebook. iTunes, we're on iTunes, you can get the show iTunes, Stitcher, all those affiliates for things. People yeah. have been asking recently. Where, do where you can go? I get your other than iTunes? Yeah, we're around. But we're on Stitcher. Yeah, Pod we're Stitcher, Podbay, Podcast. Uh, uh, a lot of those uh, other aggregates that stream um, and have podcasts. And you can get us directly from our site. You just right click and save, or you can stream us. If you like horror so. music, check out uh, Score to Death Conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. It's a book. That I wrote. This guy wrote over here. And uh, you go to our website ourselves. We've got a lot of extras there, a lot of uh, bonus stuff to go with each cat posting, cast posting. We'll have some extras with this, probably. We'll have a link to the uh, the wiki site, the, maybe the Grayskull, I think it's called, home site, and some other stuff in here you can check out. A little featurettes and stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll see you in two weeks because we're always having good times with the Saturday Night Movie Sleepover. Later. Later.